Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. Yeah, let's. <laughs> let's have some fun. Uh, I'm in a good mood. Uh, I was playing rock and roll last night, and so I think I might hold up for that for a bit because it's really cutting into my work time, uh, and it was a little bit a little bit loud. I like to play with musicians who are uh, a touch more in control, <laughs> just so, you know, because I, I do try to save my hearing despite the fact that I love playing rock and roll. Um, but uh, playing guitar, I don't know what. It, let me see, sixty, hmm, but uh, forty-five to fifty years, depending on how you count the. Okay, you count it, but uh, it's fun. I love it. I just don't want to lose my hearing doing it. So uh, that's something. And uh, I need to find a band. So I've been in, in and out of several bands over the last, I don't know, again, 40 years. <laughs> you know, my 20s after college, I started trying to get in rock bands. But uh, I'm a lot better now, and it really is fun. Uh, I want to check in. Uh, Marco checks in from the Netherlands, so he's live here on live chat. Anybody else wants to join us on live chat from anywhere in the world? Um, of course, you have to be awake while we're on the show live, and so it's uh, 7 to 10 a.m. Central Time. So Greenwich Mean Time, for those of you that want to coordinate under universal uh, coordinated time, let me see if I can find Greenwich. Let me get my clock up here. I think we're like six hours difference. Let's find London. Yeah, six hours. So London six hours ahead of time. So Greenwich Mean Time uh, is now 1.01 p.m. Uh, in the afternoon of uh, uh, April 5th. And so April already, this is, the year's going by fast. We're already three months in. We've already ended our first quarter. And it's interesting what's already happened uh, is that uh, Brandon once again has screwed up. The, the government that stole the government so the government could be in charge, regardless of what the people wanted, has once again uh, created a situation where we've, uh, we've, ruined, we've totally uh, you know, emptied our strategic petroleum reserve, um, which was never designed for market prices anyway. It was designed for nuclear war and horrible situations and natural disasters and uh, things like that to, to save our, uh, um, you know, our country from, from disaster, from not having enough oil. Well, of course, Brandon used it because he cut the supply everywhere else. Uh, I, I have always contended that the left doesn't want us to have a strategic petroleum reserve because that would imply a reliance on what they call fossil fuels, what I call organic fuels, because that's what they are, organic. They come from the earth. They are natural. They break up into mostly carbon dioxide and water vapor. Water vapor is clouds. Carbon dioxide is plant food. So all you're doing when you burn uh, organic fuels is you're basically completing the carbon cycle. <laughs> you know, so, so the carbon cycle starts with the sun, goes to the plants, photosynthesis creates more plants. You know, they use that energy. They breathe in carbon dioxide that's in the air already, um, you know, from when the world began. And then, then, the, uh, then the animals eat the plants and uh, who knows what else. And the plants decompose. It goes into the soil. Yeah, 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 eventually becomes oil. We burn the oil and we release the carbon dioxide, release the carbon um, that was in the plants back into the air which resulted, which came from originally, you know, photosynthesis, you know, chlorophyll, uh, mitochondria, plants, you know, ATP, all that kind of stuff. For those of you that remember your high school biology, which I, I know the words, I just don't remember it all. Anyway, so that's what's going on there. And so that's why uh, it's fascinating to uh, watch the, the Saudis who can't stand Joe Biden. I mean, they, they, they think of as little of him as we do here, you know, in the United States, which is kind of funny. He doesn't think little of himself. In fact, he, I, I, one of the big problems with the left is they actually believe their own propaganda, which I'll get to in a minute. Anyway, so the price of oil, the price of gasoline jumped up my, uh, my local station by 20 cents overnight. 
So, so Russia's cut back half a million barrels, I think. Is it, it's a, is it a day or a month? I'm not sure. Anyway, they've cut back. They've cut back production. Um, Saudi Arabia's cut back half a million barrels, I guess, a month. I'm not sure. Maybe it's a – I don't know. How much do they produce a day? Uh, we'll see. I think we, doesn't the United States go through 8 million barrels a, a day maybe? I'm not sure. I'll, I'll talk to Derek on Friday. We're going to see if we can sort this out. But anyway, so they've cut back. The Russians have cut back. The Saudis have cut back. And, of course, we cut back by cutting our own supply, which was a, a, an amazingly, insanely stupid thing to do. But Brandon was dedicating to taking everything that Trump did right and reversing it. And that's exactly why we're in the mess we're in, because literally everything that Trump did right – uh, Brandon and the leftists under the direction of Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton and George Soros have reversed everything that uh, Trump did right. And because of that, we're totally screwed by people who have no legitimate power. They stole the government. So they actually stole the government to destroy the country, which is kind of an interesting thought that these people actually have to wake up, look in the mirror in the morning and go, how can I destroy the United States today? Well, what else are they going to say? I mean, I wake up and look in the mirror and go, how can I save America today? How can I create more freedom today? What can I do to be better at what I do? And that's what I say, but that's me. Anyway, so uh, Netherlands, do you have anything to report? Uh, any European news from over there? Uh, if you send websites, that's nice, but there's not a lot I can do with it, you know, unless showing. Well, actually, no, you could probably do it. I, I think I could probably cut and paste and throw some websites up and, and take a look at it. But anything going on in the Netherlands, especially with the farmers, uh, any European news? I know Finland. Um, just joined NATO, which is amazingly uh, bad for, for NATO. It, it, it's so big. Well, na- now that NATO is big enough to have all the extra countries join, they don't need us. So it's time for us to pull out. So the first thing I want Trump to do, one of the many first things I want Trump to do when he comes back and into office, is get, this, get us the hell out of NATO. I mean, obviously, if they're big enough to have you know, all, of West, all of Europe, and Eastern Europe too, if, if NATO is big enough to encompass all of Europe, they don't need us. <laughs> so let's go. Let's get out of NATO. You know, you know, stop sending our money over there. Stop sending our billions. And uh, if Ukraine wants to fight Russia stupidly, then go ahead. We're not going to pay for it. <laughs> you know, don't be such idiots. Negotiate. Figure it out. Get, uh, get Eastern Europe behind you. Build a coalition. Remember that British guy used to say when, uh, when we were uh, fighting in Iraq for no reason, oh, the British forces and the American forces have joined together. That's more like a Russian accent. And the British forces and the American forces have joined together in this, this strategic alliance to make the world safe for you know, large corporations, uh, the deep state, and, of course, the, the, the permanent war class. That's, well, it's not exa- he sounds a deeper voice than that. I'll, I'll have to work on my, my deep British voice. But that's, that's essentially what's going on. Okay, so that's oil. <laughs> They screwed up on oil. Uh, they screwed up on, on energy in general, you know, going for solar and wind. Um, in fact, it was one of the interesting revelations from yesterday is the fact that, uh, in fact, uh, Marco in the Netherlands helped with this, that the, the original cars in the 1800s, they had steam engine cars. They had electric cars. And the market, back when we had a free market in the late 1800s, selected against them. You know, so why would you bring back cars in, in, in 20? 20, 2010, whenever the electric cars, whenever the big push for government cars was. The only reason we have electric cars out there is because the government is paying, you know, more for them uh, to artificially uh, suppress the market and everything else. If an electric car had to compete pound, you know, dollar for dollar with a, with a gasoline power car, it loses. You know, especially when I put a, you know, I have a bill I'll be working on to put a $25,000 hazardous materials fee on the battery. Oh, won't that be interesting? <laughs> you know, so like your battery is a bunch of junk. It's got lithium, cadmium, all kinds of heavy metals. You use slave labor in Africa from China to build them. And we're just not going to, you know, that's, that's going to be a cost. Nothing newsworthy in the Netherlands? That's too bad. I loved it over there. I had the best time. 
really amazing people. Too much fun. By the way, don't go to the Amstel Brewery. Um, have some really strong beer and tried to ride a bicycle through through, uh, through the Netherlands. It's not a good idea. Of course, I was 22 when I did that. But yeah, it was great. I think I ended up on the beach. I'm not sure how, but um, how I got from Amstel to the beach. I'll have to check a map and see if, if that was even on the same day. That European trip was kind of a blur at this point because I was 22 and that was a long time ago. Electric cars will kill the secondhand car market. So this is, that's, Marco said that. So that's interesting. So, so uh, there's no resale on electric cars? Uh, that's an interesting thought. I hadn't thought about that. So, see, with with uh, clean diesel um, powered cars, you know, there's so many there's so many what they call aftermarket parts. In other words, you know, things you can buy after the car hits the market. I guess that's how they come up with that slogan. Um, but there's all kinds of stuff you can put on. Look at all the ads for WeatherTech. Do you wonder if WeatherTech would support Action Radio? Since I mentioned their name on my show, but yeah, this this is a cost of a secondhand electric car. $5,000 for the car, $20,000 for the new battery. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, see, that's, that's, that's a really good point. So that's what Marco said, that uh, the cost of an electric car isn't that expensive, but 5000 for the car, 20000 for the new battery. Now, is that euros you're talking about? And what's the current exchange rate? Uh, euros to $2, just to kind of give us a relative uh, comparison here. Or does the Netherlands have your own currency? Do you guys still have, uh, you know, uh, do you still have Kroner? I think is the Danish have kroner. I know that. Do the Dutch have kroner? Well, what's what's your currency called? Your real currency, not the euro, but the real currency. And is, is there any move in in the Netherlands to get back to your real currency? So I'm talking directly to Marco in the Netherlands now. So those of you who are listening on a podcast, so he's not calling the show. He's actually on on the live chat. So he types in messages back and forth. That's how we do this. But the beauty of technology is I can talk directly to him and I get messages back. Gilders, that's what. Okay, thank you, Gilders. That's do 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 people use Gilders still? Can you use Gilders in the Netherlands? Let's see if we get a response back. Um, it usually takes a minute, goes there, and he has to, you know, because he's working now, so I can't always get an instant message back. But here's something interesting, too. One of the things I was thinking of, and I post this um, on Facebook uh, yesterday, is that everybody's saying, you know, our, the, the petrodollar, our dollar is collapsing, you know, our dollar is not going to be the, the currency of choice. We're not going to be the world's reserve currency. Uh, you can't use Gilders in, in the Netherlands? Oh, that's, you know what you need to do? You need to start a Gilders movement. <laughs> you need to start a movement to, to reestablish the Gilder as your currency. Uh, and the reason I say that for the Netherlands is I want to reestablish the U.S. dollar for our currency. But Greg, but Greg, we use U.S. dollars. No, we don't. <laughs> we do not use U.S. dollars. We haven't used U.S. dollars since 1913, the year that our freedom disappeared. Uh, because what we have are Federal Reserve notes. A Federal Reserve note is a, is a note, a private note issued by a private bank, uh, which is set up to, through inflation, steal all our money, steal the value of our money. Okay? So, so if the Federal Reserve note collapse, collapses, I don't care. That's fine. So this is one of those great opportunistic windows. So the window of opportunity exists right now, right now, to let the Federal Reserve note collapse and replace it with the U.S. dollar at a fixed rate, uh, tied to gold, uh, or just, or at least a stable currency. I, d- I don't think you necessarily have to tie the dollar to gold, because then you've got to go mine a whole bunch of gold. But what you what you can do that I think makes infinite sense is hold the currency stable in numbers. So I don't know how many trillions of dollars of of dollars you have in circulation, but you maintain a constant amount. If you maintain a constant amount of dollars, and the nation increases in wealth through population, labor, raw materials, finished goods, wealth. In other words, work, you know, work plus raw materials equals finished goods and services. And that's what creates wealth. Okay. That's what wealth is. Wealth is creating stuff. 
So the more you manufacture, the more wealth you create. So the idea that you can live off services is stupid. You can't. Now, do you need services? Sure. But one of the biggest services is government. We certainly don't need as much as we have. So if we can cut back on government by, I don't know, 80% maybe, just as an example, especially the federal government, probably 90% of the federal government um, should be uh, sent into private industries so they can actually make something and do something useful with their time rather than sit around, you know, taking vacations and sick days and waiting for retirement which is what most government employees do. Come on, let's face it. I was one. I know what they do. I was there. I worked in government. I worked in private industry. Uh, I, the only thing I've really been happy doing is working for myself because <laughs> at least I know the boss knows what he's doing. Um, but uh, anyway, that's another story. So anyway, so that's the situation with currency. So we have this great opportunity to let the Federal Reserve note collapse, replace it with the U.S. dollar. Uh, this is the window of opportunity right now. And so the last time we had a really great window of opportunity uh, was back when, in 2020, when the schools were closed. And so the, the, all the government schools closed and all the teachers, you know, who were still being paid with, you know, taxpayer dollars, but they didn't have to work. So they ended up going to the beaches in Brazil and uh, on these elaborate vacations. And they, and they kept taking pictures of the vacations and sending them back. And people were like, what the hell are you doing in Brazil? Or just an example. I, mean, I just remember that was one case. I said, why are your teachers taking our tax dollars and going to Brazil? I mean, if the schools are closed, they should not be paid. You know, if the factory closes, do you think you still get paid? No, of course not. So why the teachers were paid is, is beyond me. But they have, a, they have a strong union, which they shouldn't have either. You know, I'm sorry, but people who work for any, any kind of government cannot unionize because they don't, they're not, uh, the people that pay the freight, taxpayers, aren't in on the contract. So the, the reason that a private union is perfectly legal, justified, and I think a good idea, like the Teamsters, for example, I used to be a Teamster. Uh, is that when the teamsters negotiate with a company, you know, there's a finite amount of money. The company only has so much money, you know. So if the, uh, uh, if the company is so exploitive and they want to pay nothing, then the, then the union goes on strike and the company can't do anything, but then the workers can't make money either. So it's, a, you know, it's an attrition kind of thing. But um, if the company offers a really good contract, then there's no need for the union, <laughs> so the union will go away. So it just, you know, there's, there's ways to do it, but there's a finite amount of money. Whereas when a, when a government union negotiates with the government, the deal is very different. What the government says is, is especially the legislature, is say, we'll give you all this money uh, as long as your members vote for us. And that's, that's usually how the Democrats get a lot of their votes from union members, because the union says, oh, no problem. Pay, pay us huge amounts of money. We'll charge huge amounts of dues. We'll have all kinds of billions in our slush fund, and we'll support you as long as you support what we want. <laughs> you know? But the thing is, the people left out of that equation are the taxpayers who are actually paying the bill. And so the only way to have a decent union contract for a government union is to have it voted on by the public. And I see all government contracts that involve a government union either have to be voted on the public or the better idea, of course, is just to abolish all government unions, which Trump should do when he comes back to office um, because the federal unions were created um, by an executive order by John Kennedy. Well, if a, if a president creates unions with an executive order, another president can abolish them with an executive order. I mean, that's how executive orders work. They are, they are can't, they're only as valid as the president in office, you know, wants to keep them. All right. So we got, uh, Wendy's going to join us at the bottom of the hour with uh, the Oh My God report. And we're going to make a little video. And so I'm going to start to make videos of all of our superstars here at uh, Action Radio who are in the area or coming through the area. We're going to sit down. We're going to chat. So you can actually see the people that, that make this show work. And so Wendy's been with us from the beginning, took a little time off, comes back, like most people. Most people do that. They'll, they'll take time off for stuff. 
But then they come back, which is really cool. You know, refreshed and ready to go all over again. So after the show, a little bit after the show, and you'll just watch my Facebook page. You'll see it. Uh, and we'll have Wendy on. And we will disclose our location and say, hey, guess where we are? <laughs> it's going to be kind of funny. Um, so that's going to be uh, um, a little bit after the show. All right. So let's, let's talk a, a little bit here uh, about what happened with Trump yesterday. Now, I was wrong, <laughs> you know, and I don't mind admitting I was wrong because I was wrong in a good way. Uh, I thought that the Democrats would actually be a little more competent than they were. I thought they'd be a little more organized than they were. I thought that their indictment would actually have something in it that they could use. But as it turns out, they were total morons. And so this is a good, so Trump goes out there, which I thought was a mistake. My, my strategy would have been to say, this is illegal. You know, you cannot uh, take a, a, a law uh, that, that has uh, the, the statute of limitations, in other words, when it's over, you can't prosecute under it, right, uh, is gone. Turn a, a, a local misdemeanor into a federal felony. That's just like making stuff up. That's what the Supreme Court does, right? Just make stuff up and call it judicial review. Well, we, we've uh, decided that we, we found these new rights in the penumbra. You know, we found that, uh, you know, gender affirming care is a good thing. So we're going to, uh, you know, uh, surgically and uh, chemically alter uh, the youth of America and, and call it a good thing. <laughs> no. Yeah. Wait for that case to get before the Supreme Court. It's not there yet. Anyway. So this amazingly incompetent um, attorney who they're going to hang out to dry is, well, it's his fault. He, he didn't prosecute Trump properly. That's what they're going to say, right? They say, well, he just, he, he didn't, uh, you know, we, we'll get Trump. Trump's evil, so we just have to find a better way to get him. And that's what they're going to say, because they're always trying to get Trump. But uh, what we, nobody in the media seems to analyze is why. What is this fascination? What did Trump do that was all that bad? All these people want to get him. And the only thing we, you know, from the few that actually do deal with this on the media is they say that, uh, well, he, you know, he upset the system. He's not one of them. You know, it's, it's like he changed everything. And uh, they don't want to be changed. They, they want to be able to be as corrupt as always. So they're blaming Trump for doing what had to be done anyway, which is clean up the swamp. So the swamp is saying that we need to exist as corrupt and illegal and decadent and debaucherous as we are. The swamp needs to exist because we always have. Well, that's not a reason. <laughs> But that's their justification. Well, we need to exist because we do exist. You know, we need to have abuses in the intelligence community because the intelligence community uh, has been doing abuses for, for some time now. Well, that's like saying we should, uh, you know, make bank robbery legal because people have been doing it since there were banks. It's illegal to rob banks. Just, it's illegal to steal elections. It's illegal to be a corrupt official. You know, if you take bribes, if you are, uh, you know, making up the laws, if you're, if you're abusing your powers, then uh, you're a criminal just as much as a criminal that, that carjacks your car. Except with the government, they can do a whole lot more. Which brings me to Waco and the fact that that is not in the news. So April 19th of 1993, uh, the, the federal government under Bill Clinton and Janet Reno massacred an entire community of people in Waco. And they, they, they gassed them, they burned them, they, uh, they sent the tanks in, they created a firestorm. Uh, they must have just bombed the place, right? And then they bulldozed everybody into the ground. And nobody's talking about that now, which is absolutely horrifying to me. So basically, I covered Trump fast, and I thought nobody's called in. I was thinking maybe possibly Brianna was going to call in because she was busy yesterday. We're trying to arrange that. Um, but uh, she's busy today, too, which makes sense because, you know, people do stuff. So let me see if I can find. There was something I wanted to um, take a look at. Speaking of Waco, uh, let's see if I can find one of my many, many articles here. Oh, I know what it was. Yeah, here we go. So this is, we've got a few minutes. Wendy's going to be here in about 11 minutes or so. So this is from Pepe's Friend Zone. That's Pepe, P-E-P-E, 
apostrophe S, friend zone, F-R-E-N-Z-O-N-E. And this is uh, Pepe Lives Matter. And, and I forgot who this is, uh, but this is, this, is, this is a cool website. One of the many on Substack. I'm on Substack, too. I mean, I love Substack. So what he says was Waco, Fed massacre cover-up and Clinton's suicide called out by Trump. This is interesting. So this is from March 25th. The fake news is wondering why Trump chose to start his presidential rallies for 2024 at the infamous Waco, Texas. Texas, And for once, they might be onto something. Yeah, uh, I, was, I was wondering that, too. <laughs> you know, and I know we're onto something. Um, because to go to Waco during the time that the siege happened 30 years ago, this is the 30th anniversary of, of Clinton, Reno, uh, probably Hillary Clinton, too, gassing, burning, and uh, killing an entire community of people when they could have, you know, simply uh, not had their little siege uh, and just arrested David Koresh next time he walked into town. said, okay, we need to question you. Okay, well, you know, here we are. Here I am. What do you want to do? They didn't. They went in with the guns blazing, and they tried to kill them all. And uh, then the, when they shot back, you know, so oh, look at these people. They're resisting government authority. Well, of course, you tried to go in and kill them all. I mean, what do you think they're going to do? You can re- you, we have the legal ability to resist tyrannical government force. That, that, that is our right as citizens to resist the abuse of force with equal, equal or greater force if necessary. You know, that's what, that's what it means to be free. So when the government is exercising just powers, then, then they're right. If the government is exercising unjust powers, then they're not right. Here's the article. Opinion. Trump's visit to Waco is a provocation of historic significance. Well, not as significant as we want because uh, nobody's talking about it, except here where we always talk about the things that nobody else talks about. This is opinion by Nicole Hemmer, H-E-M-M-E-R, updated uh, Friday, March 24th. And so this was just recently. I've got big pictures, all kinds of videos. And uh, Nicole Hemmer says, and this is in Pepe's friend zone, so this is a, this is a copy you know, from another source, says, I went digging into the Waco massacre where a cult leader and a cult leader and over 80 people stood their ground against the federal government and then performed a mass suicide ritual by burning their own house to the ground. Okay, that's a bunch of propaganda. <laughs> that is the government line. That, uh, that was all done by a cult leader. Uh, you know, 80 zombie apocalypse people you know, decided to kill themselves uh, in the face of a government siege with guns, tanks, poison gas, and uh, flames you know, burning their entire complex down. That's like suicide by government? Yeah, please, No. No, the government killed these people. And then, of course, the next line is, or did they? Did they, you know, did a cult leader and over 80 people stand the ground against the federal government and then perform a mass suicide? (laughs) No, of course not. The article says, Trump's campaign manager says that their choice had nothing to do with that infamous event, but I'm not so sure. Yeah, I'm not so sure either, which is why I talked about it before it happened, for the entire week before it happened. You know, I was on the the show here with, with all our regular reporters. Why is Trump going to Waco on the anniversary of Waco and then not talking about Waco? So in other words, was he talking about it by not talking about it? Well, I think that was a mistake because not only did he not talk about it, nobody else, you know, talked about it either. In fact, the, the only thing they talked about was the fact that, that going to Waco had nothing to do with Waco. Oh, please. That, that's just irrational on his face. Anyway, back to the article. So, so she says, after digging into it, it seems like the government, backed by Bill Clinton, gave the order to burn these people to the ground and denied them their constitutional rights. Well, denied them their lives, too. Let's be, a little, uh, let's be accurate here, okay? Then she says, to be clear, I do not believe the cult leader, David Koresh, was a good person. I don't believe he was a cult leader, you know. And anyway, but that's just me. Uh, she says, in fact, he was a pedophile, uh, but I'll, well, I don't know if that's proven either, right? I mean, these are accusations. That's a, those are the justifications for going into, you know, shooting. But uh, I don't know if, if that was ever proven to be, wouldn't somebody in the, in, the, in the group say something? 
Wouldn't local law enforcement have investigated and done something over the years that these people were there? Probably, right? Anyway, just to be clear, I do not believe cult leader David Koresh was a good person. In fact, he was a pedophile, but all signs showed that the government had set their will to take someone out and mass sacrifice children to do it. Yeah, they call it Operation Showtime. Again, the ATF was incredibly unpopular. That's the Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms Bureau. You know, those are the people that can't make it to the FBI. They're like the wannabes. You know, the wannabe cops that uh, uh, end up doing auxiliary stuff and other things like that. You know, the, the, so the ATF are the wannabes. The FBI, they, they think they're the, general, they're the, they're the, the real ones. <laughs> okay, it doesn't quite work out that way either because both of them should be abolished uh, because there's no constitutional justification for a regulatory force uh, with guns or a national police force. The only people that the, the government mentions having guns, of course, is the military. And this is totally separate from the, the bureaucrats. But the, there's, no, there's no constitutional authority for bureaucrats to carry guns. It's just that simple. It's not. Two exceptions being Secret Service and uh, um, U.S. Marshals, I would say. Uh, U.S. Marshals for, for treason, which is a federal crime, and the Secret Service for counterfeiting, which is a federal crime. Uh, and I think also to include the dignity, pr- dignitary protection and presidential protection. You need guns for that, too. But those are the only two agencies that have any kind of federal justification for carrying guns. This, you know, it's just that simple. Back to the article. Uh, to be clear, I do, oh, there we go. This is, to summarize what happened, here we go. The ATF appeared to have been given the order to take down this cult, and they, their words, uh, and they instigated a shootout on purpose by instigating it with an array of government officials. They sent tanks and snipers and surrounded the area. Some, law enforcement? <laughs> no. Some ATF members were shot, but many uh, thought the cult started the shooting, which is now in question, as I will show later in the thread. When talks of, of release of the women and children was going well, they seemed hell-bound on doing everything to make the situation worse. Yeah, you can't kill everybody if they all come out, right? And there are these really graphic pictures. So, March 21st, this is seven cultists, I'll say seven members of the Branch Davidians, left. March 22nd, authorities blast the compound with chants and Tibet, of Tibet, Tibetan monks. Yeah, so they, they had sound torture. I mean, we're talking horrendous volumes here. March 23rd, one cult member leaves the compound. Uh, I would say one member leaves the compound. March 24th, uh, David Koresh breaks off negotiations. What negotiations? April 14th, Koresh sends out word he will surrender after writing a manuscript in which he reveals the contents of the seven seals referred to in the book of Revelations in the Bible. Okay, so what's the crime there? April 16th, FBI uh, agent says agency has its own time schedule and won't wait forever Koresh to give up. Well, then go away, diffuse the situation, wait until he comes out and goes to town and arrest him there. But they didn't want to do that. They want to kill everybody. And if they didn't want to kill everybody, then they should have left. You know, because even if they killed them by accident, the fact that they were there in a siege, we don't lay siege to entire communities in this country, especially people uh, who haven't been proven to have committed any crimes at all. There's just allegations. All right. Anyway, then the next thread, CNN's Jake Tapper blasts Trump for reviving bizarre conspiracy theory that Clinton's killed Vince Foster. That's a whole different article. Anyway, let's just uh, I'll focus on that later. But let's just take the the main thing that uh, the fact that Trump went to Waco is incredibly significant. And the, um, the lengths that uh, all these folks went to to say that going to Waco on the 30th anniversary of the massacre by Clinton and the feds had nothing to do with uh, Trump going to Waco is irrational. It's absurd. Of course it did. But that's what they're trying to tell us. All right. In the meantime, let me play a few things here. And Wendy's going to be joining us in about three minutes. And I'll be back then. 
This is Greg Penglis for Strike Force, your source for pure energy. Strike Force is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strike Force, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code WYL to the discount code window at checkout. WYL comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start your engines. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Stand your ground. My friend, Jason Myers, and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand Your Ground is located at 6632 Elva Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. From addiction to achievement, that is the story of Mike Lindell. It started with my pillow and now goes to my coffee. Action Radio is proud to be an affiliate of my pillow. Our discount code is the same for all our product affiliates, W-Y-L, which stands for Write Your Laws. My Pillow Pillows are guaranteed the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. Action Radio is guaranteed to be the most controversial show you will ever hear. Check out their products with our discount code at mypillow.com slash W-Y-L. That's MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. Or order now by calling 1-800-544-8939. That's 1-800-544-8939. Sleep well so you can wake up and hear Action Radio live. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. Here we go. Do you really want the truth? Do you have questions you can't ask in church? Welcome to the Oh My God Report. Wendy Arthur is more concerned with truth than propaganda, putting more value in scripture than religion, 
and more about you and your relationship with God than your membership in any church. This is Christianity with a Kick. Good morning. You know what? It works better if I take the mute off. <laughs> it's not playing the theme. I was all organized. And of course, when he say, why is when he saying good morning in the middle of me talking? Oh, because nobody can hear me. That's why. So I was just saying, let me restart here. Uh, take two, Greg. Uh, I knew those little cooking things like they do in the movies. Take two. That, uh, yeah, we have the rare pleasure today of... Uh, we, we have Wendy two times. So we got uh, Wendy on, on the radio this morning, as, as usual, on our Wednesday mornings. And we're going to make a little video. And so I've uh, uh, come up on the idea of doing a video project with all of our uh, folks, either uh, locally or, or you know, in the area locally. And so I'm going to get as many of the uh, faces of Action Radio. So you, can, you folks can actually see the people that allow us to do what we do here. You know, or allow me to do what I do here. Uh, and so we're going to do that a little bit after the show. So just watch my Facebook page, and uh, we'll disclose our location and show you and all that kind of stuff uh, when we're there. <laughs> In the meantime, let's, let's do radio. So, Wendy, good morning. How are you doing? What's up? Oh, good morning. Well, we're getting grandchildren off to school. We're getting, <laughs> getting woke up and our cup of coffee and husband's taken care of. It's, it's been a good morning. You got everybody coordinated. That's good. Well, we try. It's like herding cats. (laughs) Yeah, especially kids. Kids, grandkids, yeah. yeah. So do you have any specialty coffees? Do you have like Sumatra blend or or Kona or or some other uh, thing like that? I mean, are are you a coffee aficionado? Uh, Well, everybody in our house seems to have different tastes for coffee. And um, Hmm. my husband, Mike, and I like Cafe Special. Mm-hmm. Uh, my community coffee that that seems to be our favorite one so far, but you know I, I do like Kona. I, you know, when I was in Hawaii, I liked Kona coffee. Hmm. And this is totally off topic for what you want to talk about, but just because you know how my mind works, uh, is is coffee mentioned in scripture? Is there a did, were, did, how far back did the beans go? Were they were they a method of exchange? Was there a trade? Um, I don't know if you've ever been asked this before. I, I certainly have never asked this question. But uh, is coffee in the Bible? You know, not it's not called coffee if it is, um, mm-hmm. but they, you know, did make different teas and, and drinks and, you know, wines and all that kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. so, but I don't know if it specifically mentions um, if there's another name for a coffee bean. So I will have to look that up. That's a very good question. Yeah, well, I was thinking if it's, you know, the Bible took place mostly, you know, in the Middle East, you wouldn't have a large coffee growing uh, there because most of it, I think, started in South America, Africa. <clears throat> you know, tro- it's a tropical, it's a tropical plant, and then someone's got to figure out how to, you know, you know, grind it and boil it. It's like cocoa, you know, which came from the Aztecs. So they forgot to add sugar. <laughs> you idiots, <laughs> it's really bitter. Um, <laughs> dummies, you got sugar cane right there. So, so couldn't somebody by accident drop some sugar cane into the coffee and make it taste, or into the cocoa and make it taste better? But uh, yeah, apparently not until you know, Western <clears throat> civilization um, decided to do that. But I, I'm just curious. We haven't really talked about food. Um, you know, is coffee yeah, 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 mentioned probably. in the Torah? Is it kosher? Is coffee well, kosher, sugar, for example? Huh. Sugar wasn't exactly sugar back then. Um, <clears throat> it would, They used honey. Hmm. Um, okay. off the, the last grandchild. <laughs> Bye, grandchild. But, <laughs> Give him a hug for but, me. Um, but, but, Yes. Well, honey was, was what they used for sweetener back then. 
mm-hmm. um, and in their baking and all that kind of stuff. So, um, and that's a, a very good, it, it's a lot healthier for you than, than sugar. Sugar's refined and it's just got all kinds of crud in it from the bleaching process and all that kind of mess. So, um, yeah, the Romans, we, we like honey. the Romans use honey. In fact, there's all kinds of, uh, uh, I mean, honey was huge in Roman cuisine. I remember doing research on that. I don't know why, but I was curious. But I remember there's a scene in um, Spartacus where Laurence Olivier, who who stole Spartacus' wife, uh, Jean Simmons, and he's like, there, do you want some squab and honey? I'm thinking, well, that sounds interesting. <laughs> you know, you know, Cornish game hen with, uh, you know, like a honey sauce. I'm like, hmm, you Romans ate well. Not, not bad for a couple thousand year old cuisine. But I just always remembered that because I don't know how that got in the movies. All right, so what did you want to talk about today? <laughs> Enough of my food dreams. <laughs> I must be hungry or something. You must. <laughs> well, uh, since this is um, approaching Good Friday and mm-hmm. Easter Sunday, mm-hmm. uh, figured we would talk about that. So when, and, when is the date um, of Easter? I, so, I and, and we just had Palm Sunday, too. We should probably talk about that. So Easter is what, what date this year? I'm just curious. Sunday the 9th. Okay. All right. The reason I'm asking is because of Waco. And so uh, when Trump went to Waco to speak, I was just covering that in the previous half hour, that uh, the 30th anniversary of the, of the massacre. Uh, that's something else we should talk about, you know, after Easter is, uh, is you know, government assassination of, of its own people. And that goes back, I'm sure, to biblical times as well. Oh, it but, that, uh, that, that goes back to biblical times. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's do that. Let's, let's uh, give you a chance to, to think about that. But after Easter, um, I want to talk about what happened at Waco, because I don't think it's any accident that Trump went there uh, and didn't speak about it. But his first campaign rally was in Waco. So that's got to be symbolic or something. Oh, we got noise in the background. Um, I'm going uh, to take off my car. Even I'm, I'm back now. Okay. <laughs> okay, good. Um, on the road with Wendy. It, you know, Bible on the run. Yeah. Bible on oh, the run. Yeah. <laughs> do, 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 do. Bible on the run. I see, you know, see, see, <laughs> let me tell you what happened. Last night I was jamming. I was, I was jamming guitar until about 1130 last night. You know, of course, I got up at 430, so that doesn't leave a lot of time. Um, so I have about three hours, four hours sleep. So I'm really going to be in great shape for our interview after the show. And after that, I'm going to sleep for, for a nice long afternoon nap. But uh, so I was rocking out rock and roll guitar. So I'm in a really uh, more than usual energetic mood this morning. So wherever we go, just, just, you know, just blame it on rock and roll. It's only rock and roll when I like it. <laughs> yeah, just take those old records off the shelf. We'll be gone. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm not going to dance on my underwear for the for the radio show. Although that's an interesting thought. <laughs> Sliding across the floor. Sliding across the floor. Why he didn't get splinters? I don't know. So you so you wonder this thing. Did he get splinters when uh, Tom Cruise slid across the floor as a as a teenager? I, don't ask me why I thought of that. Anyway, go ahead. What were we talking about? Uh, Sorry, God. Friday and Easter. <laughs> that's right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I never understood why they called it Good Friday. You know, that that's you know the day they crucified Jesus. So I, I never understood why they would call that Good Friday. Well, who came up with the name? And I'm not sure. I, I, well, I think the Catholic Church, you know, had you know had something to do oh, no with, with naming each thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, that explains a lot. You know, yeah. it's that the the Catholic. Uh, um, 
Lost you for a second. Big understanding okay. of the crucifixion. Right. You know, every denomination seems to have. Oh, I'm not there. No, you are now. You're back. You just you? lost you for a second. Yeah. Um, the the Catholic Church um, brought us. Um, uh, oh, like, you're like fading in and out a little bit. Uh, Wendy, you, you're fading. Did you move or something? You just you're, you're sort of fading in a little out, in a, in and out again. And I want to make sure we get this. Yes, yeah, plug in, tune in, drop out, it, or something like that. Is, hmm, is this hmm. any better? Yeah, it's better. So, but I want to get this okay. because the Catholic Church. We want. I want to talk about the origins of the Catholic Church and how they 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 split from Jesus, you know, teachings way back when. But uh, the idea of Good Friday. And Palm Sunday and Ash Wednesday and, and all these rituals that they have. Uh, we don't have to take them all up now, but I'm, I'm just curious. Let's talk about Good Friday, though, because that's a really good topic. What, what's good about it? I mean, well, the resurrection is good. But, I I had mean, to, uh, go ahead. Yeah, the resurrection is wonderful. <laughs> but um, that I, because I'm not Catholic, I, I'm not speaking as an authority, okay? I, I want all my Catholic. Catholic friends understand that I am not trying to usurp any understanding of the of the Catholic um, uh, traditions. Okay, but mm-hmm. I do know that um, they really helped the world understand the crucifixion of Christ, and that is basically. And, and if you look at a Catholic cross, they still have Jesus on the cross. It's not mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's not a, a blank cross like you know Christians wear. Um, you know, non-Catholics wear it's it's a the one with Jesus on it because hmm. they focus on the crucifixion of Christ, um, and that's you know, not a bad thing. So I and I don't want anybody to think because they're wearing a cross with Jesus on it that that's wrong. It's not. It's mm-hmm. it's it's how you it's what you are remembering. It's what you're focusing on is his death on the cross for us. Where um, Christians that wear the blank cross with Jesus already risen is because we focus on the resurrection of Christ, not the death of Christ, but it's all part of the same story. So good Friday, if good, if Friday hadn't happened, if the crucifixion hadn't happened, nothing good would have come of it. Um, All good things happen because Jesus, he didn't, he didn't die for our sins. He became our sin on that cross. Scripture says that he became sin. And for somebody pure and perfect and who had never done anything wrong in his life mm-hmm. to become sin, I can't even imagine the mental and spiritual anguish that he went through, let alone all the physical sin. So it was a big deal what Jesus did on the cross, a major big deal. So and Jesus was, he had not, uh, was a man at that time and was experiencing all the things that humans experience and pain the whole bit, right? Correct. Which okay. is why when he intercedes for us in heaven, that God is, was, has never been man. God is a spirit. Right. He, and he, and, but when he created us humans, he, he could not relate to the human experience. He knew, he knew what we needed to, to function as human beings and how mm-hmm. he created us and all that kind of stuff. But, but he needed a part of himself to understand the human experience. And so Jesus became man. He left his home and glory. He, be, he left his kingship, his ruler. He mm-hmm. left everything, all authority, everything in heaven to come down and to be born as man so that he could understand everything that we go through. 
And so when he intercedes before the Father, I mean, the Father's listening to him, right? I mean, God's mm-hmm. going to listen to anybody. Makes sense. <laughs> it's like Trump's kids, so, you know. What's going on there, Eric Jr. or, you know, Don Jr.? Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, but so, same kind of thing, yeah. You know, if, okay. If, if, there's, if there's other kids in a room and your own kid, who are you going to listen to first, you know? so <laughs> Makes sense, yeah. But, okay. So when Jesus intercedes for us, it's because he is, he's interceding with complete understanding of, of what we go through here absolute complete understanding and so when he's asking the father for mercy he gets mercy you know so and that's why it's also important when scripture says you know show mercy have mercy because if you show no mercy you receive no mercy you receive and reap what you sow so if you need mercy in your life you better start showing mercy to somebody else who needs it well, that makes it's, sense. that's just how it works yeah, the question that would come to mind, and uh, our, our contact um, Marco in the Netherlands who listens in and types in on live chat, uh, talks coffee. I'll get to that in a minute. But uh, the idea that if God—this is my first question—is if God created man uh, in the image of God, then how would God not have the human experience? How would we have our experience as human beings um, if God didn't know what our experience was going to be? Well, it says, scripture says that we are made in his image. We aren't like God. We are in his image, his physical form, that his image we have. Um, but where does the human nature come DNA. from then? If God needed Jesus to, to have a human experience, how would we be created as humans? Or did God leave no, that no, to us to develop? Human. Right. No, no, he created us as human beings. But he right. is spirit. He gave us a, an, an actual body, you know, which, which is what makes us human, is our, right. our, our natural physical body that, that we are in. This is our luggage. This is our housing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this, yeah. this is what he houses our soul and our spirit in. So, but God doesn't have need of that. But, but if he had an image for us to look at, we could see in spirit form you know, his, his likeness. So that's okay. how we are created. In, in his image. So, um, but not exactly like him because we have a body and he is spirit. No, I wasn't questioning that so, we, were, we were like uh, God. What I was questioning was how God would create, you know, us humans uh, and still need to experience a human experience through a human when Jesus became human. Uh, that just, I, just, I'm wondering about it. You got birdies in the background too. It's really cute. Oh, sorry. No, don't, don't be sorry. <laughs> I like the birdies. The birdies are the birdies yes. are you know birdies They're are happy. part of our world. They're happy. I'm happy. They I love listening to birdies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they know we're doing God talk. They are. They're, they're singing praise to the Lord because yeah, <laughs> exactly. it says that even the rocks and the trees will cry out. Okay. <laughs> oh wait, wait a minute. Hold on. Yes, God. You like the birdies too? That's why you created them. Okay, so so we should leave the birdies to keep on the show. Got it. All right. Thanks, God. All right, Wendy. The birdies stay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not in charge of making them leave, but okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, um, you know, you don't have to go inside. Yeah. So oh, anyway, yeah. the word is there. The um, birdies are good. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so getting back to Good Friday. Right. Um. So Friday is when Jesus was crucified. He was turned over and betrayed by Judas, um, as if you don't know the story, one of the disciples named Judas Iscariot uh, betrayed Jesus for 30 shekels of silver. 
30 huh. pieces of silver. And, um, and it, he, it was the religious leaders that uh, had Jesus crucified um, because religion could not heal people. Religion could not deliver people. Religion couldn't do anything that Jesus did. And they hated it. <laughs> they hated Jesus for being able to do what they could not. Um, and because if people started believing in what Jesus said and following mm-hmm. Jesus, then they lost their power. So um, what does that look like today with Trump and no, the Democratic Party? I was just thinking Party? of that, you know, because it, I don't want to necessarily equate, you know, Scripture and God, but it's, very, it's, it's Trump. It's the deep state. And, and Trump's winning every time. It's, it's really it's, funny. Yeah. Uh, the the incompetence of these sure. people believing their own propaganda. Uh, and I imagine that happened back in, in biblical times, that these folks believed their own propaganda. They thought they were as popular as they thought everybody else thought they were as popular as they thought they were. And it just simply wasn't true. Yes. Huh. No. Tell me more. So, you know, so uh, and as Ecclesiastes says, there's nothing new under the sun. <laughs> yeah. 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 So this is just, you know, same song, billionth verse. Um, mm-hmm. So we're just seeing it played out before our eyes, where people back in the biblical times saw this, you know, the story about Jesus being played out before their eyes. Everybody knew that the Pharisees told people to, to you know, bow under the law that they didn't follow themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, six hundred and thirteen laws, man-made laws, that the Pharisees were trying to put on the people. So and that's always the way yeah. that uh, the communists do this. They say, what was it? I forgot who it was, but this, one, of the, one of the Stalin's old minions said, you know, show me the man, I'll show you the crime. They make so many laws and so many crimes. It, it, you know, there, there was a book written I heard about recently. Uh, Alan Dershowitz was talking about this, three felonies a day. Everybody commits three felonies a day without even knowing it. It's just going about normal life. But you, you can't arrest everybody for everything. Okay. Uh, it, 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 but you could. And so the state always creates a situation where everybody's guilty of something. That way they can always after anybody they want. And I imagine the same thing was true of Jesus, that, uh, you know, what crime did he commit? Well, they had to make up something. Or, or create something because yeah. really because the people didn't well, believe in the deep state anymore of, of the Pharisees, you know, and they, their power was challenged. And people have real, people will kill to keep their power. It's really scary. But that's the, you know, well, don't interfere will. with people's and, power. And, yeah. And look what the Pharisees did because it's being done today. They could mm-hmm. not, it says, could not find any wrong with what Jesus was doing. Hmm. So they paid because back then, um, if you were taken to court, uh, two or three witnesses had to agree to say that they saw him do a crime or, or do something wrong. So they mm-hmm. paid um, two men to agree to, to tell a lie that Jesus had committed blasphemy mm-hmm. against God, his own father. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, yeah, yeah great, great to prove that one. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and because two witnesses agreed that they heard him say it, Mm-hmm. even though they were nowhere around. Um, and they were paid to say that. What does that remind you of in the last <laughs> umpteen years? How many people have oh. been paid to say that in court? Um, <laughs> yeah, so, the, the whole you know, Trump derangement, you know, nothing dossier. New yes. oh, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Well, human nature, so that's see, now that's a, was, was, but that raises a huge question. Is human nature, did God design human nature to not change? And that way allow us to see it coming and be able to, to make better events for ourselves, knowing that the deep state is going to do what the Pharisees did, knowing that the, human, that the nature of most people is, is, is corrupt and bribable 
and, uh, you know, affected by their own power and their own propaganda and, and willingly seduced by, uh, you know, uh, you know, gains of, of money and power and things like that. So, so the answer have... to that is, is no, God did not create human nature to never change. He created human uh, nature to be changed by the spirit of Jesus Christ. Okay. Well, that makes sense. You know, because that's that's what that's the only thing that will change human nature is Jesus, okay. because the Holy Spirit enters as when you say I follow Christ, I will mm-hmm. adhere to to how He says to live, mm-hmm. um, and I will um, and I make Him my Lord and my Savior. Then the Holy Spirit comes and resides in you, and it changes you from the inside out. It's you know, everything else makes you uh, responsible for changing yourself, which, mm-hmm. you know, natural cannot change natural and, uh, on, on an ongoing permanent basis. Supernatural mm. changes natural. That's how that works. And the Holy Spirit will work in you when you don't even know he's working. And all of a sudden, a situation will come up, and, and instead of reacting the way you normally would have reacted, you will mm-hmm. react in, in like a godlike way, and you're going, wow, where did that come from? <laughs> <laughs> well, I say that all the time, and now death. I find myself saying, you know, the closer I get to God in this whole process of doing action radio, which has been fascinating, you know, uh, it, it's not that I, I, I wasn't a, a believer in God, but I wasn't as intensely believing, and I didn't see the things that I see now, and I see things in an entirely different way. You know, it's really interesting. I had this revelation a while back that um, that you that within my own body, I feel, you know, the, I almost feel the separation of spirit and body. And so when this body, you know, no longer works, it's like, it's okay. I've got my spirit. And I can actually feel the difference within me of a spirit, of a spirit of God, of a, of a soul, uh, and a body as like, you know, working together, but as, as actually separate things. And I never felt that before until the last, you know, several months. But it's really quite an interesting thing. Exactly. Now, is that, some, is that something that's, much, that's common uh, to folks, the closer you get to God, the more you realize that your spirit is separate from your body. They're, they're, your body contains your spirit for a while, but it's okay because your spirit's going to go on, and then you don't worry about your body so much. You still want to take care of it, but it's almost like a separate thing. And you look at your hands and arms and legs and say, okay, well, this is kind of interesting. Is this where I'm stuck for now? Okay, cool. This will work. You know, but, uh, but there's a separation within yourself. That might yes, be a topic. Because interesting. Well, the okay. scripture says that, that we are three parts. We are spirit, soul, and body. Okay. That's what we are. Hmm. So um, our, our body houses our soul and our spirit. Mm-hmm. And within that, that body, then your spirit is to rule over your soul. Most people live out of the soul, which is your emotions, mind, will, and emotions. And that's okay. where they live. So therefore, mm-hmm. feelings just drag them all over the place. <laughs> where spirit, if your spirit is, is ruling over your soul, then it's processed through the spirit and you don't get blown, you know, everywhere by the wind of, of what the soul feels. Feelings don't, right. don't rule you. Uh, the spirit rules you. And it allows you to see things with discernment that you don't see when you're living out of the soul. So oh. um, it, it, it's a, that's a major big deal. Yeah, we should so talk about I'm that glad more. that you can see the difference. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, it's we can just, do a whole you know, on that. Yeah, but it's interesting these revelations as they come to me here. Um, Pianki's on the line, but before you, that I just want to make sure I get this in before you leave, Wendy. Coffee. <laughs> so, so Marco in the Netherlands says coffee. the earliest credible evidence of coffee drinking or knowledge of the coffee tree appears in the middle of the 15th century in the accounts of Ahmed Al Ghaffar in Yemen. 
Well, I guess so. so it was in Yemen that coffee seeds were first roasted and brewed in a similar way to how it's prepared now. So there you go. Cool. So Yemen. Well, yeah, thank you I, very much. We've got we've I got the world. We've got the world typing in information. We're, you know, what do we get really big? And people are like sending stuff from all over the place. It's going to be fun. Well, I, I love the interaction. You know, I love that, and I, I'm glad that that listeners you know are feel mm-hmm. feel free that they can type in and, and contribute because you know every joint supplies. You know, that's what Scripture says. No one person has everything. Nobody. Only Jesus had that. So we all need each other, and we all have our different gifts and talents. So I appreciate our listeners, you know, contributing. I really do. Yeah, yeah, that's why it's Action Radio and not the Greg Penglis show. <laughs> that, was, that was like my first decision. It's like, are you going to call the Greg Penglis show? No, it's not about me. I just happen to be doing it. You know, I'm the one that, with the, that gets the that's ideas right. in my head. You know, anyway, Pianchi, let's get to Pianchi before you disappear, Wendy. Uh, although if you want to stay a little bit, no, I actually have a guest at 8 o'clock. Um, that's going to be yes. different. All right, so Pianchi, what's on your mind this morning, sir? Good, good morning, Pianchi. Good morning, Wendy. I'm trying to figure out how God called you guys on the phone, but here where I am with lightning and thunder. <laughs> <laughs> well, we love you, Pianchi. <laughs> well, this is the only time God calls us directly. I to talk about. God only calls this show directly. You know, I mean, God listens to all the other ones we know, but uh, this is the only one who <laughs> feels the, you know, the, the need to just interrupt us. And for convention, you know, God makes the phone ring, and this is that's how it just how it works. It's, I don't don't ask me; it's a God thing. Ask Wendy; she'll tell you. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to say too much because I don't want to say the wrong thing and get struck by lightning. So, thank you. <laughs> I, I think you're fine. Listen, if if, if action radio were a problem. Me? If Action Radio were a problem for God, we would have known a long time ago. <laughs> you know, so. Yes, yes, we would have. <laughs> yeah, so don't worry about that. Anyway, Piaki, do you have a question or anything or a comment so far? No, I think uh, you, you, you're pretty much covering everything. That's, that's great. And <laughs> Wendy with her laugh, making everyone cheerful, that's great, too. <laughs> well, it's the well, world's I'm most so infectious laugh. Yeah. <laughs> well, before before my my last three minutes are up, um, and uh-huh. and you get to your next next guest, um, right. I just want to tell everybody that look forward to Resurrection Sunday. You know, Easter. You know, find somebody to go to church with and enjoy it, and understand that God loves you. He loves you so much that he he sent Jesus for us to pay our price of sin for us, okay? And he became our sin so that we don't have to be um, subject to that anymore. We don't have to be slaves of that anymore. So um, if you're looking for freedom, which is what Action Radio is all about, is what God is all about, um, then just come come and enjoy Jesus in all of his fullness. And I I bless everybody in Jesus' name today. Yeah. (laughs) And they're very happy, apparently. Oh, the things we get up to here. Well, I want to ask you at some point, uh, this will be for like maybe next week or the week after, is why Catholics focus so much on the Virgin Mary. And they always say the Virgin Mary. They don't just say Mary. It's always the Virgin Mary. You know, and, and Mary, uh, you know, you see in Catholic neighborhoods when I grew up in New England, uh, you always see these uh, these uh, statues of Mary with this big like holy, you know, whatever behind. Or as uh, the, the, the folks, you know, the recovering Catholics used to say Mary on the half shell, which I thought was kind of interesting, being a, a clam <laughs> reference. But uh, that's a different story. Anyway, well, but yeah, it, so, so go ahead. 
well, just to touch on that, it, that really is an, an important point um, mm-hmm. to say the Virgin Mary. Um, you don't have to, but if you do, then that's great. But what they're saying is um, she was pure, and there was no mm-hmm. other way that she could have been pregnant with Jesus other than by the intervention of the Holy Spirit. It was a miraculous act. This was not a man's baby. This was not Joseph's baby. This was not anybody else's baby. You know, here on earth, this was, uh, he was the son of God. And it was mm-hmm. a miraculous conception. So that's why they, they say the Virgin Mary. Just, it's not just Mary who could have gotten, you know, pregnant by anybody because she was promiscuous. No, she was a virgin. She was pure, and God chose her to, to birth his son. Which is interesting. Um, but it, it just seems to me the focus on Mary is supposed – it's almost like there's almost more focus on Mary than Jesus sometimes. And that's something the Catholic yes, Church – Yes, there is. You know, and, and, yeah. And, and that's, that's where they kind of, kind of, you know, get off track a little bit. That doesn't mean they're not going to heaven. It just means that, you know, they're, they need to, you oh, know, no. prioritize their focus. Well, but it's such a strong uh, religion and such a strong church. That's why I think it has such a strong impact. And, of course, then we can get into – I love to do the history of different Christianities. We haven't even talked about the Eastern Orthodox Church and why they have a different Easter. Yeah. Uh, do you want to do that next week maybe? Because I have my, Tyler Miller, my guest in the next hour, is already here, so he's kind of listening in. Tyler, I'll get to you in just a bit, so, so hang tight. Um, but why, you know, we have two churches and I'd be curious as to why they split and when that happens. So Christian history, uh, is something I'd love to incorporate more of. So people sort of understand how we got to where we are now and why people do things the way they do them. I I will do my best, but yeah, I, I, I'm not the the world theologian expert, but I will do my best. We don't have to be. Any, any questions people have. Listen, Wendy, if I had to be an expert on everything I talked about on this show, it'd be a very short show. <laughs> Just, you know. Okay, here's what I know for sure. Thanks, everybody, for listening for five minutes. See you tomorrow. All right, well, welcome your next guest, and y'all have a great day. Be blessed. Thanks, Wendy. All right, so we <laughs> – there we go. So we have a new guest on the show. Uh, and so Tyler Miller is running for sheriff in Escambia County. And so I, I asked him to come on the show and give him a chance to talk all about that, talk about his background, talk about Escambia County itself. And for those that uh, are, are listening both nationally and internationally, we are in the panhandle of Florida. We're in the upper northwest corner. We're on the Gulf Coast, uh, you know, right on the Gulf of Mexico, called the Emerald Coast because the water is actually green, which is kind of cool. So the last county or the first county, depending on which way you're going, uh, if you're leaving Florida heading west, the last county you go through is Escambia County, and it's right next to uh, Alabama and, of course, the first big city being Mobile. And it's more populated than our county here in Santa Rosa, which is the next county over. The largest city is Pensacola. Uh, it's got the Blue Angels. Uh, we have a ton of military folks here. But like everybody else, they have a county sheriff. And so Tyler wanted to come on the show and talk about uh, about him, you know, his uh, election. That's us welcome to the show. Tyler, how are you doing? Hey, Greg. I'm doing well. Uh, thanks for having me on. Oh, it's my pleasure. I, I love to have folks on. I love to talk politics. And we have Pianca on the line, too. He's either somewhere in, in the Midwest or down south, and I'm never really sure exactly, but that's okay. Um, so we may or may not get calls. You know, uh, people might text in. We've got Marco, who's listening in the Netherlands. He's typing in messages to us. And so we're, we're international. We're national. We're, uh, but, you know, I like to bring it down local because pretty much every county in this country has a county sheriff. So right. let's, hear your, let's hear your story. We'll, we'll talk about what that means in a bit. But uh, tell me your story. Tell me your background. Tell me, uh, and then we'll get into why, you, why you're running for sheriff. So let's, let's hear your story. Sure. 
So I am a local here to Scandia County. I've lived here nearly my entire life, grew up here. I love this uh, love this county, love the people here, love our values. Um, I have been here from pre-K all the way through to graduating at, from the University of West Florida with a bachelor's in political science uh, and pre-law. Mm-hmm. I moved away to go to law school. I went to Florida A&M out in Orlando, and I came back home once I graduated and uh, wanted to start my professional career here. Um, I, I was raised as a, uh, as a, by a single mother here. You know, I was a child of poverty, and that is, you know, unfortunately a reality for a lot of folks here in this county. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scandia County leads as, as one of the highest rates of poverty in the entire state. And why I, is that, I think do you that think? we can do better things. Why, why do you think because that, yeah. of, well, just the panhandle, panhandle in general, uh, it mm-hmm. is very underdeveloped and it is very lacking in economic opportunity. It's just part of the model of our economy. We, we here in Escambia County have two major economic drivers, and it's obviously the military base, and it's the, our service economy through tourism. And, and that's seasonal, and it doesn't necessarily pay the best wages for folks. Uh, and we're starting to see some development in, in our local economy uh, with Navy Federal, for example, has done a lot to improve the local economy of, of the area I live in, which is the Bellevue area. But I would like to see us diversify our economy more towards, you know, an industrial base and, and a more uh, middle class, you know, office type jobs that our, our area is significantly lacking in. Um, so what you say in, in raising industrial base and then office jobs, let's, let's talk about both of those. So what kind of uh, industrial, what kind of industries are you talking about? So if you look at Mobile, for example, they have the Austell shipbuilding facility. And, and I think that mm-hmm. is absolutely phenomenal that they're, they're turning out products not only to improve our, our national security, but, you know, show folks that you can still have a middle class, good quality of life through building things. You know, it's, we don't have to constantly be outsourcing jobs to China or, or the big thing now is outsourcing to Mexico. We can, we can build things here locally. Uh, and I would love for us to expand our industrial base here, and whether it's talking about bringing in textile manufacturers to make uniforms for the military or, or, or you know, building components for cars. There are all kinds of opportunities, especially since we have the military base here. Um, and I think it's something that a lot of local politicians don't talk enough about or invest in. Have you talked to any of these industries and see if they want to locate here? Uh, I, I, have, I haven't had the opportunity. I'm not in that sort of position. And when you follow a lot of the discussions, um, for example, they're, they're expanding the, uh, the airport hangar um, for a company, and the name eludes me right now, but they're partnered with, uh, UPS to expand the logistical operations there. A lot of times it ends up not even being worth it because we expend so much in infrastructure investments, but the jobs they bring here are so limited. Um, so I, I would like to see us do a better job of that. And certainly I'm open to, to talking to anybody who wants to. It's just I, I'm not in a position of prominence to actually have them want to answer my calls, you know. Well, I'm, I'm curious because and we'll, we'll relate this to, to county sheriff in a little bit, but I'm curious because um, do you know the average salary of Escambia County? I mean, how much are people making? And you say there's not a middle class. Yeah, usually, how much are folks making? Usually, it hovers around uh, thirty to thirty-four thousand a year per household. Okay, so that's that's the national average. How much is a house here on average? Uh, you know, I, generally it's going to be around uh, two fifty which it, it, a lot of middle-class folks here are struggling. I mean, the, the rent, the average rent for a, for a two-bedroom now 
hovers around 1400 a month. And that, that's something that a lot of folks are struggling to meet, especially as you talk about this inflation. I mean, this, I, like I said, I grew up here, spent nearly my whole life here, and this used to be a great place to raise a family. It was quiet. You could make it by. The cost of living was low. Uh, and our schools generally used to be, you know, they, they used, to, used to be able to, to get a good education, but now, you know, folks struggle to pay rent. The schools fail our children. The infrastructure is poor. Well, that's national. Uh, that's happening all over the country. That, that's a systemic problem everywhere. It's not just in Escambia County. Well, I'm, you, you look at uh, other places in the Sun Belt, like Texas, for example, and, and unless you're talking about major areas like Austin, Texas is still a, a great place for middle-class families to be able to make it and get good quality educations and be able to afford rent or own your own home. Uh, but Florida is, is an outlier, you know, because of all the craziness with COVID and everything. Everybody from the, the bigger coastal elite cities are coming here, and the infrastructure has not kept pace with the boom that we have seen in population. And so everywhere from the panhandle to, you know, central South Florida, the rents, far surpass the national average of, of rent increases. Well, you've got a contradiction I, here. Wait, wait, hold on a second. You've got a little bit of a contradiction because you're talking about the, uh, the middle class being, uh, we don't really have a big middle class, uh, and yet people are coming here from all over the country. So how do you, right. how do you sort of justify those two positions? So the folks who are coming here are, are generally tend to be more affluent retirees, or, or folks getting away from the bigger cities because they're... <laughs> I came here for opportunity. Well, when did you come here? Uh, 2017. Right. Yeah, so what we're seeing is in the post-COVID era, we're seeing a lot of the more affluent elites coming from places like New York City, uh, San Francisco, uh, Chicago, because they're tired of the crime, they're tired of the regulation, tired of the taxes. And so they're coming here, and that's a great thing. You know, I want Florida to be open, open for business, open for folks who want to move here and, and bring in you know, their investments and their entrepreneurship, but we need to have the infrastructure for it. And, certain, and, and currently, we're just not keeping pace locally. Not just saying so doing what, a great job. What, would you, what kind of infrastructure improvements are we talking about? So, for example, uh, I'm not sure how, you are, how familiar you are with this area of Beulah and Cantonment, but there's an area around Nine Mile and Time Forest Road that prior to all the developments that are going up right now already struggled with infrastructure because the, the, the lanes aren't wide enough um, and the amount of traffic that we have seen in that area because of the Navy Federal Campus popping up there and expanding uh, means that if you get stuck there during rush hour, you're going to be there the rest of the evening, and it's dangerous. It, it really there are so many accidents at that at that area because it is so congested and and the lights just deadlock and. You know, the well, wait a minute. Let's, just let's, let's talk about that. Because sure. you want the money, you want yeah. the money from the jobs, uh, and so and right. the people are coming here in, in great numbers. But right. then we have a traffic problem. So here's something, and this is something. Let's get, so, so let's start to relate this to law enforcement. What would happen if, if right. Navy Federal went? And, and if you mention specific street names, people around the country are going to get lost. So every right. I want to, you know, I'll, I'll sort of bring you back to the more general. So in other words, every county has a county sheriff. Uh, and we'll talk about the constitutionality of that in a little bit here. Um, but as far as traffic goes, because we do have a lot of people coming to Florida. There's like a 1,000 people a day show up in Florida right. from all over the country. They're not all affluent elite, I don't believe. 
they're, they're young folks that are, that are here with families or they want to start families. There are older folks that want to retire. There's a ton of military in this area, as you say, but for, right. for traffic. Now, we, just to relate something different, like I'm here in Milton, you know, in downtown Milton in the historic district. And so for towns mm-hmm. that have a historic district, there's a pressure to make a four-lane highway, which would totally screw this town up. <clears throat> Excuse me. Right. So what I'm thinking is, as as someone as sheriff, part of your job is traffic enforcement. You're not here to build the infrastructure, but you're certainly here to enforce right. the laws for people that use the infrastructure. So would mm-hmm. something like flex time or different schedules or sort of you know make the traffic you know instead of having a rush hour. You know, would it be something you might work with the city council to encourage, you know, uh, programs for people who had a bunch of different start times? That way you wouldn't have all the jam at a particular time of day, for example. Would that be something that would interest you? Data analytics. Yeah, so data analytics is going to be a huge component of what I want to bring to the sheriff's office. Uh, We're certainly lacking in that right now. Um, Okay, so hold on. So so what are are data analytics? Let's, let's, Let's start there. So if you've ever driven down a road and you see those black strips along the road that are randomly set out in different areas, what they're doing there is they're measuring traffic patterns. But that's not the Mm -hmm. local sheriff's office that's doing that. That's the Florida Highway Patrol and the Florida Department of Transportation. Mm -hmm. Well, isn't also the the urban planners and the civil engineers, how they work, and the the traffic managers, are they working with that also, the local folks? So from my understanding, what that generally is used for by the Florida Highway Patrol is to measure speed. So right now, as far as I understand, they're only using that to measure speed. But let's use that to measure uh, volume of traffic, frequency in terms of times of day and, and days of the week, and figure out what the traffic patterns are so we can invest, just adjust things like lights, but also talk about investing in infrastructure to expand lanes where needed. And, and like I said, one of the major issues that we're seeing is developments are popping up where you have massive apartment complexes and new sub, subdivisions being built on roads that are already overly congested. And that's not me saying I don't want to see those developments. I absolutely do because that expands the, the tax base here. It brings folks in so we expand the local economy for new local businesses. The problem is the infrastructure is not being developed alongside these new subdivisions and apartments. And that's the issue that I and a lot of local folks are having. When, when I mentioned that specific street, the reason that has become such an issue is that there are two new subdivisions and a new apartment complex being built on that street, and it's still a two-lane road that's already massively congested. So by the time those finish and all those families move in, it, it, it is going to be a nightmare, and it's going to be a, a public safety hazard. And the county so do you, is saying, oh, do you yeah. think there should be limits to growth or a growth management plan, or, or what, no, what, no, what no, are no. you thinking? No, no, no. 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 So no growth management plan. I'm a huge. No, I, I, what I'm saying is I, we don't want limits, but I'm a huge proponent of the free market. You know, if developers want to come in here and invest in our community, great. You know, I love that you're you're giving jobs to construction workers and you're going to eventually contribute to more affordable housing in terms of more supply in the market, bringing down the cost. The uh-huh. problem is. At, at, at the county level, we need to be working with these developers. Hey, if you want to build, you know, an apartment complex to house, uh, you know, three, four hundred people, uh, we need to make sure that the the roads are going to be expanded and that we have, you know, proper lights in terms of street lights, traffic lights, uh, and medians for for you to be able to safely turn into these apartment complexes. But right now, just having a two lane road for such massive developments in an area that's already congested is dangerous because you're going to have people veering out 
uh, you know, performing risky moves because they got to get to work or they're trying to get home at the end of a long day, uh, as we're already seeing prior to these developments even finishing. Well, so, uh, I know a little bit about traffic management because I've studied this for Milton because the, the, the solution, mm-hmm. the easy solution is increase the number of lanes. Um, but what right. happens is what studies have shown is that increasing the number of lanes actually increases the traffic even more than the previous capacity on the two lanes. So a lot of times when you go from two lanes to four lanes, it actually slows traffic because so many more people think hey, it's a highway. I'm going to go there and actually attracts traffic mm-hmm. rather than diversifying traffic among city streets, side streets, different highways, things like that. So have you looked into that at all in terms of, of traffic management that uh, that it's, it's counterintuitive? I know but actually increasing lanes attracts even more traffic and it does not necessarily improve the situation. I agree with you. And, and, and certainly part of what we need to do as we're looking at a, a public planning perspective is walkability. One of the things that we struggle with in mu- much of the South is poor public transportation and a lack of walkability. Okay. Let's talk and, public and transportation. One of the let's, uh, no, I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Finish that. Now I've got a question for you on that. So one of the major things I would like to see us do from a, a public planning and zoning perspective is if you look at, at grocery stores and, and super stores like Walmart, Target, Publix, and there's, mm-hmm. there's so much wasted space in terms of land there because there's never any housing built on top of it. And to me, it's never made sense that we allocate so much land there and, and miss that opportunity land for to build what? housing. On, Are you talking parking lots or just doors, doors or what? Okay. It's the stores, you know. Um, when I lived out in Orlando for law school, one of the most remarkable things in being in downtown Orlando was that they had, you know, stores like Publix out there with housing on top of it. And, and it, it, was, it was so phenomenal to be able to live there and, and just walk downstairs and get your groceries and not have to use a car. And, and when I lived out in Orlando, I lived in an apartment complex uh, out in Kissimmee where I could walk to my Publix, I could walk to my doctor's office, I could walk to my veterinarian for my animals, uh, I could walk to restaurants, the postal office. I mean, everything was there, you know, and I, and I didn't have to use my car. Uh, you may and, want and to use your car. I actually like driving, but that's, uh, you know. Okay, so well, if you find a community that you like, now do, does, does Escambia County have those communities, or do you, you want to encourage the building? Of these cells, it's called smart. For folks who don't know, what what uh, what I was talking about is called smart growth, and this was something that was big in the '90s. Uh, it was called infill, and the whole idea was that you'd have a community that was planned where you could live, work, shop, and get your entertainment all in one place, and, and you wouldn't have to drive. Um, I happen to like driving. <laughs> I love driving actually. So uh, so to me that that's freedom. Um, but uh, right. it sounds like very much uh, uh, urban planning. But let, let's let's uh, well let's talk public transportation. So in an area like Pensacola which is wide open, mm-hmm. uh, in, in, uh, in where, where would you have public transportation in Pensacola? And we'll get, we're going to get to the county sheriff's up just a minute here. But where in Pensacola would right. you set up? Because Pensacola is the biggest city in Escambia County, by far, biggest city around here. Right. So, so, mm-hmm. so where they've tried public transit. Uh, the buses did not do well. So where exactly right. would you put it? What kind of public transportation? Uh, ferry boats, um, streetcars, buses? Do you want to build a subway in Pensacola? Well, you know, if you were on the city council, what would you do? So one of the interesting things is if you've been to downtown Pensacola, you see that we have, you know, older older railroad tracks that are not in use any longer. And I think it would be a, a great idea to use that and convert it over to like a trolley-type system mm-hmm. uh, to connect major points like Navy Federal and the University of West Florida. Because there are – obviously downtown is the nightlife area of, of mm-hmm. Escambia County. 
And so you and it is ironic to have that in downtown Pensacola when a lot of the folks who are going to be doing the nightlife are younger folks from either the military base or the University of West Florida, both of which are a good stretch from downtown Pensacola. So if we can configure a public transportation system to link the major points of interest, you know, Navy Federal campus and, and the surrounding developments that house those workers, the University of West Florida that houses all those college kids, and the Navy base, which houses a lot of the kids coming out of boot camp for A school, uh, mm-hmm. we could, you know, cut down on a lot of traffic and, and ease congestion just in that alone. And, and there is some infrastructure already there. We're just not using it. Okay, so it sounds like you you you, you don't like cars. You don't want you want to live in a place where you can't, you don't need a car. Uh, traffic seems to be a problem. There's we you know we need more lanes. We need infrastructure. The problem. I'm kind of getting a theme here. This is this is what I'm working on. So how does how well, would you have any impact on this as county sheriff, which is the office you're running for? Well, first of all, let me say I love cars. So I, I drive a, a Ford Mustang GT and absolutely love it, and, and certainly wish that you know we had an Audubon yeah. system where I could. <laughs> use it to its full potential there. But no, I love cars and, and I, I certainly enjoy driving. I'm just saying to cut down on congestion and also, you know, have have our infrastructure perform at its most efficient, it'd be great to, to really innovate our approach to zoning. But um Well let me get back to my uh, question. How does of, that how does yeah. that impact uh, being a county sheriff, which is the office you're running for? So what a lot of people underestimate is the power that the, the, the sheriff brings to the table in terms of being able to get all of the elected officials together and try and hammer out a policy proposal. So obviously we have to structure the, the local government parallel to like a federal type system. You have the county commission, which mm-hmm. legislates essentially. They, they pass their ordinances, they allocate the funding. And you have the, the sheriff, which serves as a sort of a quasi-executive role. You know, he enforces the law, and he serves as a central public figure that, that the, the citizens can look to. Uh, and that's something that the county commission, I guess the closest that they've come to is like a, a county executive, but that's an appointed position and not an elected official. So the sheriff really is the most prominent executive-type role in the county. Um, and the sheriff can really speak to not only the public safety aspects, but also the corruption aspects. And, and that's something that we're not currently doing in law enforcement. Locally, it is really investigating corruption and holding elected officials accountable. And I, so I'm is that the job of the county sheriff? I, so, I mean, we have okay, so, so, so let's, let's get specific here. Let's get specific. So the county laws. So in Escambia County, if you want to, if you want to enforce laws against corruption, bribery, you know, all kinds of stuff like contract violations, things like that. Where, where would people look in county law to see that that authority exists? Where would they go? So there are Florida statutes that deal with corruption. The problem is that the sheriff's office doesn't have a single unit to investigate political corruption. So most of the time, what you're going to do, if you're a concerned citizen and you want to raise an issue of corruption, you can take it to either the state's attorney's office, and they have not had a great track record here locally of investigating corruption, uh, or you can take it to uh, the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. Uh, and there are various ethics commissions as well. Um, one of the most notable examples of that being used was against uh, the now uh, former county commissioner for District 2 here in Escambia County who had uh, an ethics investigation done into him, and it was recommended that he be removed by office. Uh, who recommended that? from office by the governor. I'm sorry? Who recommended that? Which office? 
Uh, Florida Ethics Commission. And they're based where? I believe they're out in Tallahassee. So they're so, are they and, a and state? that's the problem. So yes, it's a state. It's a state. And and the problem is we need local oversight because the state is in terms of you know ethics investigations and, and criminal corruption. They're under investigations. They're they're underfunded and they're they're stretched thin. And Escambia mm-hmm. County isn't going to be their top priority when they have the entire state to monitor. So I don't understand yeah. why we haven't been doing that locally. Well, I'm just trying to figure out where the authority would come from for the county sheriff to be doing this kind of work. I mean, I'm just curious. You know, I mean, I, don't, I have no well, problem investigating sheriff, white-collar crime, but uh, I just want to, I want to see where, where it comes from. Yeah, so the Florida statute, uh, it's, uh, Florida statute Chapter 30 deals with the powers of the sheriff, you know, and he's really there to enforce all the laws of the state. And part of those Explain laws that. Include, uh, How is the county sheriff responsible for enforcing all the laws of the state? So, so, because I know you've been to law school. I know you're a lawyer. So, so I know you can, you can deal with these, these issues here. Explain, explain that connection. Well, so when you're talking about criminal laws, why, why do we make such a distinction between cracking down from a law enforcement perspective on a drug dealer and mm-hmm. a corrupt politician? Because a, a drug dealer is going to impact the community uh, you know, in, in terms of, of the neighborhood he's in, but a corrupt politician can impact the entire county, you know, and, and a, a drug dealer uh, or, or a common thief might do damages in, you know, the hundreds, maybe the thousands. A corrupt politician can do damage in the millions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I've never understood why, and I get it, you know, I, I want to crack down on drug dealers and, and thieves and, and gang members alike, but we also need to really be evaluating our policy on corruption, because that is, I would argue, far more destructive because it's across the board as opposed to. Uh, Pianchi, yeah. All right, so we, we got Pianchi was online and wants to ask. Yeah, please ask a question. Pianchi? I can answer that question because your politicians control your police, mm-hmm. and your drug dealers even pay off your politicians. So it's best to get rid of those evils of your drug dealer who's poisoning your children, which is going to be your future population of your city and also the country. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and a big Sour, part of that yeah. is, yeah, investigating the funding. So that, that's one of the things I want to do in setting up a, uh, a corruption, anti-corruption unit in the sheriff's office is really every okay. election go through who, who these donors are and, and what, the politicians do once they get in office. So one of the big things you see is there are a handful of very elite, wealthy donors in this county, and all of the elected officials right now, for the most part, share uh, contributions from these same donors. And then these donors get government contracts and infrastructure investment for the land they own in downtown Pensacola, for example, uh, in a way that really doesn't benefit the, the taxpayers and middle class families here in this county. Okay, and but here's it, the thing, very, though: that this is this is not. I'm trying. I'm still trying to see the connection between this and the county sheriff. I'm not saying it shouldn't be investigated. Yeah. It should, but I just don't think I don't see it as a county sheriff. But you mentioned drug dealers, so let's talk about crime. Right. Uh, let's let's start with your law enforcement background. So tell me tell me your law enforcement background. So I'm not. I don't have a law enforcement background in terms of being a law enforcement officer. My background is criminal law and constitutional law from a legal perspective. So like I said, I went off to law school and from, from okay. high school where I took my first cr- criminal law course all the way through to law school, I have made my specialty studying criminal and constitutional laws. 
And, you know, thanks to the work of, of President Donald Trump, we have a truly conservative Supreme Court for the first time in two generations. And so my plan is to use my legal background to really innovate law enforcement uh, procedures and tactics aimed at getting cases to the Supreme Court to really undo a lot of the ridiculous stuff that we saw from the 1960s Warren era court to expand the powers of the police to allow us to innovate investigations when we're seeing, you know, unprecedented levels of, of crime and, and a really a new wave of crime where, where they don't have any regard for even the most vulnerable groups like seniors and, and children and churches. Okay. Well, let's get back to being a county sheriff and law enforcement. So if, have you done a ride-along? Do you know what the, what the day-to-day job is of, uh, of, a, of a sheriff's deputy? How much experience, how much have you had, even if you, if you don't have, if you haven't actually worked in law enforcement, and I'll get to that question in a second, how much experience do you have just being directly with, uh, with, the, with the deputies and, and uh, any, any number of sheriffs that might have been in office while you've been here? So I've had conversations with the former sheriff to get an understanding of of their operations here in Escambia County. I haven't done a ride along, but in terms of my experience with crime, I've seen it in my own neighborhood. You know, I, I had a, a meth lab. We've all seen crime. That's not the issue. But what? But I'm wondering. But see, here's what I'm trying to figure out. So if I'm a right. voter in Escambia County, and I'm in, I'm in Santa Rosa here, but if I'm a voter in Escambia County, and and you're telling me that you don't have a law enforcement background, so you've never arrested anybody. You've never pulled anybody right. over. Uh, you don't know what, what the day-to-day operations are of, of a deputy sheriff. How are you going to supervise these people? Right. So what I, what I would tell folks is right now we are, are not doing a good job in, in terms of the way we're handling crime. I mean, crime here is worse than it's ever been, and a lot of folks feel it. I felt it myself. And I plan to bring in a lot of sharp minds from particularly Miami PD, which is the only major city in the entire country in the midst of this Mm -hmm. national crime wave that has actually managed to bring crime down. I don't know everything. I'm going to tell you that straight up. You know, I am an outsider, but my whole goal as an outsider is to innovate the sheriff's office, which has really been stagnant for quite some time. You know, whether you're talking about Ron McNesby, David Morgan, or Chip Simmons, we have had a those, serious those issue are county with, sheriffs for anybody that's, that, that wants to know because I, I know too, I know David Morgan I know Chip Simmons so I don't remember the, the third one because I don't think I was here for him the first one you mentioned right right okay so go ahead uh, like I said I, I am an outsider but I, I bring an innovative fresh perspective to this and we, we can and we will do a better job okay well, well let me ask you some specifics about about the place like how, how good is the 911 system for example in Escambia County so it has had a, a mixed track record. Uh, I mean, I remember there was one day I spent the entire day trying to call in and, and report a lost wallet that I had found, and the phone lines were down. You know, and it is was that quite a, uh, wait a minute, is a lost wallet a nine one one emergency, for example? It's not nine one one, but uh, so I was I was just trying to get through the sheriff's office. But if I had called nine one one, I'd imagine that you know that they would have told me you know this is is not an emergency to call the sheriff's office. Uh, but well, do you know the regular number? What's what's the regular number? Just the just for folks to know, what's what's the re, what's the non-emergency number? Yeah, do you know it? Pull it okay, so you can look it up. Okay, so fine. I'm just curious. I'm just, I'm just getting. I'm just trying to get a yeah. sense of your general knowledge here. All right. So, it seems would would you think 
about because I'm just looking at your picture. I don't, you know, you're 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 not you know ancient citizen here. Would it make sense to be a deputy sheriff to go through the the the, the academy to serve as a deputy sheriff for a couple of years and then consider running for county sheriff, for example? Would that make sense? Well, sure, it's always a possibility, but uh, I, I can tell you I would not want to serve under Chip Simmons right now. Um, Why? Because what I'm seeing and what, what, because what I'm hearing from deputies is very troubling. So mm-hmm. I was attacked in, in Warrington. I, w- I was a victim of an assault, and I had five witnesses and an admission from the suspect. And mm-hmm. while this call was ongoing, while I was actively being chased down by a mentally disturbed individual, I, I was on the phone with the sheriff's office, and I was letting them know, like, hey, somebody's chasing me down in a car, and they're trying to run me off the road. Wow. Uh, it yeah. took them 45 minutes to arrive. The first deputy that arrived did not know what an assault was. I had to pull the Florida statute and read the elements for him, and he did not want to help me with it, so I called the supervisor. You know, I explained the situation to the supervisor. I told him that this individual was dangerous. You know, we had all these witnesses. He did not want to press charges. He did not want to do a Baker Act. Uh, he, Explain when I the Baker back, Act said, to hey, people. Because there's, there's, so there's, there's the Baker Act federally, and there's a, there's, a, there's a Florida Baker Act, so I just oh, – I got sirens going by. Right. It's kind of ironic, actually. So if you can explain that to folks, that would be good. <laughs> Sure. So in the state of Florida, we have what's called a beggar, and that, and that means that when the police or, or a citizen has reason mm-hmm. to believe that an individual is a danger to themselves or others, the police can temporarily detain this person and bring them into a hospital or a mental facility for a, a temporary hold and evaluation up to 72 hours. And you mm-hmm. know, if a medical professional determines that they're a threat that's ongoing, you know, that the hold can be extended. But it, it's a great way to get dangerous mentally disturbed folks out of the community uh, and get them the treatment they need. The problem is if law enforcement doesn't want to do that, then there really is no, no avenue there for, for getting these, these dangerous folks off the streets. So what do you do uh, that? So, well, as a citizen, there really is nothing you can do. Uh, you know, until but as, actually, sheriff, uh, as county sheriff, what, what, what would you do? So one of the things I plan to do as county sheriff is approach all of the hospitals here, uh, one, to expand Baker Act intakes. So we're, we're a, a population of 322,000 people here in Escambia County, and we have one hospital that takes in Baker mm-hmm. Acts. Uh, wow. The other two used to, and they, they shut down their Baker Act uh, intake wards. And so we are, we are facing a significant mental health care crisis. Uh, so as sheriff, I'm going to approach the Board of Trustees for the other two hospitals that stopped doing their Baker Act and, and really identify, one, why they stopped. Is it a funding issue? Do we need to work with our state legislators and with the county commission to see if we can perhaps use um, civil asset forfeiture to convert that into funding for Baker Act intakes? Um, and two, I want to partner with actively have social workers to come on calls where we, where we have an indication in advance that this is a call to respond to a mentally disturbed individual because a lot of times our deputies aren't, they're, they're dealing with violent folks. They're not necessarily trained in dealing with mental health care issues. And most of the time you get calls for things like Baker Act, and it's not going to be the same thing as an armed robbery. You know, it, it can be handled in a, in a de-escalatory situation. Well, so, <laughs> then what do you do? Well, right. And, and in that instance, uh, it, it's, more appropriate than have have our deputies and not send a social worker in. So it's really working with not only our our, uh, our deputies and, and social services, but also uh, the folks 
um, at the 911 dispatch center to identify, mm-hmm. you know, is this, is this a violent, an ongoing violent issue or is this a mental health care issue where we need to ha- also dispatch social workers. So it really involves us overhauling every level of it, from, from dispatch to uh, the responding deputies and bringing in other departments like the Department of Children and Families okay. to better address um, this issue, and, and then bringing in uh, the private sector in terms of, of, of the hospitals. So all this comes under the guise of mental health. So you're talking about coordinating all these departments together? Yes. And, okay. and we're not doing that right now. So uh, have you heard of the sheriff's roundtable discussions that he's been hosting on, on gun violence here in Escambia County? No, but tell me about that because I, I was curious. My next question was on your, your, your policy for the, the use of lethal force. So let's start with that and then let's talk about, uh, let's talk about guns. So what, what's your, sure. what would be your so, policy for lethal force? So obviously, not, I, I'm a big proponent of the Second Amendment. So not only from the perspective of, of law enforcement defending themselves through the lawful use of power for law enforcement, but also mm-hmm. citizens in using Florida Stand Your Ground Law. Uh, okay. We have seen very significant increases of violent crime, particularly violent crime involving firearms. We have okay. seen huge increases of armed robberies. Go let's ahead. get to that in a minute. Let's get let's get back to the because as county sheriff, you're going to have to develop a, yeah. a policy for the use of lethal force. That's what that's what I want to ask about here. I want to make it a little more specific right. than the general crime problem. So tell me about what, uh, right. what how you view that. And non-lethal so, force. Where 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 do you draw the lines? What, how do you how do you see the the deputies uh, uh, following both a non-lethal force and lethal force policy? So obviously I'm going to encourage my deputies to use lethal force when they perceive there is a a credible threat to their lives or the lives of others in the community. Mm -hmm. And I want citizens to be parallel to that in empowering them to use standard ground laws when they feel they are credibly threatened uh, either to themselves or members of the public. And so one of the big things that motivated me to announced my candidacy for sheriff was this shooting, uh, a gang-related shooting at the Bellevue Packers Little League game, which actually uh, they had a visiting team from Milton playing that day. Uh, so mm-hmm. that involved not only families from Escambia County, but Santa Rosa County. And if there had been a parent in the audience that was, you know, allowed to concealed carry, because you couldn't in that situation, the, the way the Florida's concealed carry laws are written, they... I would have encouraged them to have stood their ground in that situation and defend their family against these gangs that were coming in and firing dozens of shots around children. You know, so my, my use of lethal force policy encourages deputies not only to use lethal force when credibly threatened uh, either individually or, or, you know, a threat against a member of the public, uh, but also encourages citizens to use Florida stand your ground law. Uh, in terms of, of non-lethal force, I would obviously want us to defer to that whenever possible. You know, the goal out here isn't to be killing people. Uh, the goal is to promote public safety. And so whenever instance we can, we can use non-lethal force like pepper spray or, or tasers, uh, obviously I want our deputies to defer to that. Um, Do you have disagreements have with the current real- policies uh, in lethal force and non-lethal force? No, I, ha- I have no disagreements with that. Um, so you wouldn't change that? I, I just... What I would change is the way that we educate the public on standard ground law. So when I attended the Sheriff's um, Neighborhood Watch Academy, one of the Uh things that I was really disturbed by was the the head of of the media relations, his name is David Craig, and he conducts those Neighborhood Watch Academies. And and he told folks, you know, if you see see an ongoing violent issue in, in, in your neighborhood, don't engage, call us, let us handle it. 
And I, in a general sense, that makes sense. The problem is the reality of what we're seeing on the ground is if you are the victim of a violent crime, as I've experienced personally, as many folks have experienced in this county, it could take mm-hmm. 45 minutes upwards of a deputy to respond. And by the time that's over, the, whoever's getting attacked could very well be, be seriously injured or dead. Um, and I think we ought to have a community where folks look out for each other. And if you see somebody getting attacked, you know, intervene. This is, this is a standard ground state. This is a state that strongly believes in the Second Amendment, and I don't think we should be handing over our, our county to the criminals who, who think they can do whatever the heck they want and get away with it. Okay. Well, we, have a, we just had a change in law, and as of July 1st in Florida, uh, there no longer will require a concealed carry permit, which is about time. Uh, I'm for open carry right. myself. But uh, how, as, in terms of law enforcement, uh, how, do, how does that change in the law affect law enforcement? Let, let, let's give you a, let me give you a scenario here. So, so you're pulling up, mm-hmm. or one of your deputies is pulling up to a car, and it's different now because nobody, you know, do you want people to declare if they have a firearm on them or not? Uh, they don't have to have a permit, so you're not going to be checking for a permit. Um, what, what is your policy going to be in terms of, of let's just say, uh, um, driver stops, you know, especially now that we don't have to have a permit? How, how's that going to affect uh, what you want to do as sheriff? Well, I don't really envision us doing too many changes because what you have to consider is that even prior to this law, criminals are going to carry either way. Right. So mm-hmm. the only impact that we're going to see from this is that it empowers lawful, you know, lawful carry amongst law-abiding citizens. Mm-hmm. So in terms of do you our, want citizens our, our, to disclose if they have a firearm if they're pulled over? Well, from a from a you know uh, a, the safety perspective of our officers, yeah, that's that's a question that we're going to ask. Um, well, I'm asking just, now. Just so we know. <laughs> Give me a yes or no. <laughs> you know, tell me tell me what you think. Yes. Yeah. You know. Just, yeah. Okay. I, I think that's a, a personally. Per- perfectly fair question, you know, and, and it's not that we're wanting to know, you know who all is carrying. We don't want any registry or anything, but uh, just for the safety of our officers, I, I think it's a pretty reasonable question. Okay. Well, some, uh, to, uh, uh, all right, go ahead, Pianca, then i got a question. Go ahead. Some communities do and some communities don't, but I was interested, you know, you talk about criminals. Some of your biggest criminals are actually bureaucrats, 96%. Yeah. As reported of the law that we live under was not voted on by Congress, but was made by bureaucrats. What is the ATF, the IRS, the uh, EPA, and so on and so on and so on. So let me ask you, if a bureaucrat comes to your county, should they not have to check in with the local sheriff? Are you talking you know, about federal bureaucrats, you're talking about federal bureaucrat, Pianki, right? Federal bureaucrat. Okay, yeah, so no, okay, that, that's a good question. Okay, I just want to make that distinction so folks know. Right, and and so other sheriffs, you know, particularly out in the western states, have shown a willingness to stand up to the federal government. Uh, unfortunately, you know, some of our our sheriffs have not been as as brave. I what would you do? I, I'm, very, Don't worry about I'm not so much concerned with those. What would you do? So a great example is, is the things that you've seen around um, the really recently the weaponization of the FBI and the Department of Justice against conservatives. Uh, as sheriff, you know, if, if they're wanting to come here and do that, they will, should mm-hmm. not expect any, any help from our sheriff's office. So whether they're trying to execute a warrant or anything, we will not give them resources if, if they're trying to, to weaponize law enforcement against conservatives. Okay, so let's, uh, let's, let's, this is this is a great scenario. Let's 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 follow this through a little bit here. Okay, so you've got so the FBI comes in and wants to arrest 
uh, me, <laughs> you know, I'm in Escambia County, all right, and and say, right. well, we can't have action radio anymore. They're spewing too much propaganda. We think it's fake news. You know, we want to do something about mm-hmm. it. So they they uh, pretend I'm Roger Stone or just or anybody that's that's in town here. The FBI comes into Escambia County. Do you want them as Pianki mm-hmm. Do you want them registering with you? Are you going to stop them from doing things? Or do they have to cooperate with you? Are you going to let them be armed? So what, what what's what's your policy going to be towards the feds coming into Escambia County? Right, so at, at the very least, I'm going to want a heads up. You know, I, I don't want them just coming in here and and running running amok and making things okay. more dangerous than it needs to be. Uh, from I from a legal perspective, it's not like I can arrest them and stop them from from getting down here and executing federal warrants or anything. But oh wait a minute, hang on, hang on. If you're if you're a county sheriff and you're responsible for, Pianki, go you go ahead and ask it. We're going to ask the same question. No, he does. You have territorial jurisdiction. You was elected. When the FBI right. comes into your territory, he has he or she has to check in with you. They have to show what their business is, and you need to inspect it to make sure it's legal. It can't be a dossier that was not signed. It can't be a warrant right. that was not issued by a magistrate. So you have to protect your people that elected you to do just that. No, I completely agree with you. And in instances where they're not following the law, we will absolutely pursue criminal investigations into abuses of power like that. Well, wait a minute. Um, wait, you don't have time for that. that. That's after the fact. What's going to happen when they're right there? This is what I'm trying to get to. So I'm, I'm, I'm really getting specifics with you, and, and Pianchi is too, for the same reason. We want to know, because the sheriff has to react right now. You don't have time. You know, the right. investigations later, that's fine. The follow-up later, that's, for, that's more, that's more your, the lawyer side of you coming out. So, but I need to investigate the, the county sheriff's side of you. The FBI is in town right now with guns. They want to arrest people, they want to do something that you consider against the law, how would you stop them? What would you do? Right. If I consider it against the law, uh, we, will, we will, you know, do an arrest right there. So, you, um, so you'd so be arresting FBI it. agents if you think they're breaking, you know, county law, state law, or even the law, Constitution? Absolutely. Okay. Just want to check. No, that's right. fine. Absolutely. Nobody, nobody's right. above the law. Okay. Let's talk about, um, do you have a follow-up on that? Because I want to get into illegal aliens here. Yankee? No, that's it. Person. I want to talk. Yeah, I wonder what they got to say about illegal aliens, also. Okay, well, let's hear your general policy, and then I'm going to, I have some specifics for you. So, right. So, we have uh, the state of Florida and, and and through national programs, things like E-Verify, that really requires employers to make sure mm-hmm. that they're hiring legal legal employees and, and, and legal citizens uh, and and legal immigrants to perform work here. Uh, the problem is that a lot of times illegal immigrants will provide like invalid social security numbers. They'll just, they'll just blatantly steal it from someone else and employers don't take the extra step to actually verify. You know, they'll verify that, it's, that it is a legitimate social security number, uh, but they, they won't do the due diligence to make sure that it, that actually is the person using that social security number. And okay, let's make it, make it less, less of a white collar crime. Let's, let's say a carjacking. So an illegal alien, or someone use well. First of all, are you going to determine if somebody's legally in the country? You have a carjacking. The person has no idea on them whatsoever. What are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Right. So I absolutely plan to do <clears throat> verification of whether the person we're arresting is an illegal immigrant, and then report it to how the do you immigration do that? services. How, how would you do that? Well, it's just a simple poll of a social security number. Um, but they're fake ones, and like you said. It doesn't come back. Right. 
So, so how right, would you do that? If somebody, but if you don't know somebody's identity, they have no, they, they're, they're undocumented. I mean, we're talking truly undocumented. Someone, so, so we're talking about a brand and released, you know, illegal alien across the southern border, ends up in Escambia mm-hmm. County, carjacks a car. You've, you know, your deputies have arrested this person. What, what do you do with them? Right. So if they're not going to provide their identification, that already is a major red flag. Uh, okay. So they don't have any, this would, is the scenario. They don't have any identification. Now what? Right. That, that alone is a major red flag. So what okay. we're going to do is, is obviously fingerprint this person and then run that in through, through a database and see if there's okay. anything there, if there's any prior history uh, through immigration services of this person being processed. Because I'm guessing by the time they made it to Pensacola, uh, they probably have had a history, you know. Uh, we're not, not necessarily. You know, there, there are people crossing. The, they don't fingerprint people at the border. They just let them in. You have no idea who's in this country right now. Nobody does. Right. And I, I agree with you. Uh, I agree with you. We have a major issue with the unsecured southern border, and we need to be doing more. Um, okay. When I do, when I do catch illegal immigrants, it, it makes more sense to us just to hand them off to immigration because then it gets them out of the country. But they're not doing anything with them. Taxpayers. ICE has been defunded. Wait, yeah, you've got to protect, you, you protect – hold on, Pianca. I'm going to you've, you've got to protect your citizens. The immigration, the, right. the, the, the Democrats have totally defunded them. There is no ICE to speak of right now. I mean, the deportations are, are ridiculously down. But you've got to protect your citizens. Right. You've got a carjacker, undocumented, and, and immigration doesn't want mm-hmm. them. Now what do you do? And well, if immigration question. doesn't want them, then, then we'll, we'll have to – process them through the state criminal justice system and incarcerate them and hope that uh, their incarceration lasts long enough until we get a more responsible administration up in Washington willing to finally enforce immigration laws. Okay, Um, fair enough. uh, The problem with that is then the taxpayers have to pay to house and feed this person and give them medical services. And and I I wish we lived in a world where they actually enforced immigration laws so the taxpayers didn't have to put the bill here in the state of Florida. Okay, I got a I got a solution for that, but I want to get Pianki's response first. Pianki, you have another question? Did they have money in their pocket? Mm, that's a good question. How do you know the money is legal? Well, that that is going to be a very difficult thing to track. If you're talking physical currency, yeah, that that, that is going to be a very difficult thing to track. Um, but obviously, as we're going to arrest this person, um, subject to where we're actually arresting, in Canada, you know, we can. In Canada, uh, you have to prove your innocence. You consider guilty before you have to prove you're innocent. You have to prove where you, that the money you have is legal. That's not a burden on the state in Canada. <clears throat> I think that should be applied too when you're dealing with illegals. They need to prove that the money that they have is legal and really just from the terminology. If they're illegal and they're earning money, they're doing something right. illegally. The drug dealer would be doing Right. So in the state of Florida, we have civil asset forfeiture, which while it doesn't shift the burden um, in terms of the individual having to prove that their, their money is legitimate, in the state of Florida, civil asset forfeiture is actually separate from criminal proceedings with a significantly lower threshold for having to prove legitimacy, uh, which the state has the burden to, to prove that. But um, it, it's only a civil matter. So it, it isn't, you know, beyond a reasonable doubt. And, and that gives a lot of leeway to law enforcement to really crack down on illegal sources of funds, you know, being brought in by cartels and, and drug dealers and things like well, that. Well, so, let me so ask there a question then. There. If, if ille- do illegal aliens have constitutional rights? Uh, under, current, or under our current legal system, yes. 
the, the minute that you you step foot on United States soil, even though you know you're an illegal immigrant or you're a criminal, uh, you have constitutional rights, and that's one of the things that I was telling you where we really need to take advantage of the conservative Supreme Court and really rewrite the law. To well, wait a minute. The, 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 let me just give you a little idea of what we just talk about here at Action Radio. We don't have a lot of uh, respect for the Supreme Court. Uh, they make up stuff. They right. use, they, use they, they have laws. That, you know, they create laws and stuff like that. My question is. Uh, as a county sheriff, as someone who represents the Constitution, not the Supreme Court, um, do, how do illegal aliens have rights in a place they're not allowed to be in? I agree with you. It, it, okay. is, it is ridiculous. So um, and that's would, you, we, would you be a pioneer and say, okay, I'm going to civil asset forfeiture these people. I'm going to confiscate that money. I'm going to confiscate their car. I'm going to confiscate whatever. Would you use civil asset forfeiture, which is a local law enforcement procedure, uh, against illegal aliens? Who have no rights? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sounds cool. I just just curious, Pianki. Do you want to follow up on that? Well, yeah, you should confiscate their assets because if they're illegal, they don't have a right to work here. So whatever they acquired while working, they acquired it illegally. If you worked at Burger King, you're not supposed to work at Burger King if you're illegal. And the and really, they shouldn't be entering your state that there's another contentious probability i don't understand why states allow the federal government to land planes at the airport and offload <laughs> illegal in your state well let's 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 take that scenario so so brandon drops a a 747 here at pensacola international full of illegal aliens mm-hmm. what you going to do yeah so um in terms of being able to force federal immigration law, like this is another thing where, you know, this is our opportunity to get a case to the Supreme Court and expand the power of that. I would like to, to be, the, like you said, the pioneer in that case and, and arrest okay. them right then and there and uh, see if we can get that case to the Supreme Court to expand the powers of law enforcement and actually enforce immigration law. You know, right now, why, do you need, uh, why do you need Supreme, Supreme Court, Court permission? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, let me, let, me, let me try this first, right. Bianchi. Why do you need Supreme Court permission uh, to do what's already legal and already constitutional. Well, here's here's what would happen in that instance. I, I would arrest them, you know, okay. which, which I would fully intend on doing, and they uh-huh. would make it to the state court, and 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 they would have a a crafty public defender, uh, either either the public defender or the ACLU might even step in, and they would challenge it at the state court level, and the state court isn't going to want to get into such a major issue, and they would defer uh, to saying that, you know, you as, as the local sheriff do not have the power to enforce federal immigration laws. And so they would, they would release that but person, overturn the charges. But civil asset forfeiture is not a federal immigration law. It's a local law enforcement procedure. Why would, why would immigration law even enter into it? These people aren't immigrants. They're illegal aliens. Right, so they have no connection to immigration whatsoever. So civil asset forfeiture has to be linked to a criminal offense. So the criminal offense that we're, we're getting at is, is the illegal entry into the country. Right. And that's where they, uh, their crafty attorney, likely with the ACLU stepping in, would challenge that. And that's where but we have to But as county sheriff, up. if somebody is in the country illegally, that's like a confession. You, know, you don't have to prove it any further. Right. They're in the country illegally. That is a crime. All right, go ahead, Jackie. The state I, I, is a solving country. Your state is a solving country. And you got a right to nullify laws that are not constitutional. We allow, we allow rogue judges 
and has robes on would five right. to four decisions amend the U.S. Constitution every year. That's totally ridiculous. If the state wanted to ratify something, you would have to have a supermajority, three quarters. So that has to stop. Judges do not have will, nor do they have enforcement. That's what Madison and Alexander said. Completely agree with you. And, and what I'm saying is for the, for the first time in, in decades, we have a Supreme Court that's actually willing to work with us. And okay, you, so you here's, that, here's, you know, here's the conflict that Pianca and I are having, because Pianca and I, I agree pretty closely on this. Every time you say that the Constitution you know, rules, the Constitution's an authority, you still want to go back to the Supreme Court and get their permission. What we're saying is you don't mm-hmm. need their permission. Okay, because as as a uh, as a county sheriff, you are one of the premier constitutional officers in the country. So as the county sheriff of Escambia County, you can tell the Supreme Court to pound sand. You can tell them that you don't need their decisions, that they cannot pass judgment on something that's already in the Constitution because they are subordinate to the Constitution. This is what we're getting. So this is what I'm looking for in a county sheriff. Okay, so I'll I'll be really blunt. I want someone that's going to stand up to these federal powers and say that immigration law doesn't apply to illegal aliens because they're not immigrants. Okay, I want someone that's going to say to the Supreme Court that you can't tell me you can't seize the assets of illegal aliens who are here illegally because just the fact they're here illegally is a crime and we can go after as a local law enforcement procedure. That's what I'm looking for. But your website really clearly says exactly what you've said before. Zero tolerance. Okay, it's right from your website. Tyler Miller for sheriff Mm -hmm. using innovative legal tactics designed to get cases to the Supreme Court. We will expand police powers to get violent offenders out of our of our community. What I'm saying is going right. to the Supreme Court and back to your community is a really long pathway. One is to go directly to the violent criminals themselves and forget the Supreme Court. Right. Well, and, and I agree with you, and, and we're certainly going to no, do you it don't. You just, level. you just said you want to go to the Supreme Court. You don't agree with me. I I want to do both. I want to. You I can't want to, do both. You, know, you, you got to do one or the other. You can't. You know, I, I'm being hard on you because I really want to get this out there for people because they can really, so they can properly evaluate you. I'm not trying. I'm not doing this for right. a gratuitous purpose, but I really want to understand. No if you say on one hand you want to take cases to the Supreme Court, and on the other hand you're not yeah. going to respect the Supreme Court when they don't follow the Constitution, I'm saying you can't have it both ways. You either deal with the criminals directly, especially illegal aliens, or you have innovative police tactics and take cases to the Supreme Court, but you can't do both. Well, I, see, I'm going to disagree with you, Greg, because okay, in order enough. to get cases to the Supreme Court, you have to challenge the current existing law and do that tough on on. why do you want to get approach. cases to the Supreme Court? This is the part I'm because, having confused so, with. Why do you want cases to the Supreme Court? Hold, hold on, Piaki. I want, to, so, I want to get an answer, and then I'll let you go. Go ahead. Why do you need so to go to the Supreme this, Court? Greg, in, in, uh-huh. in 2023, we are still operating with police procedures that came about because of Supreme Court rulings in the 1960s, mm-hmm. right? So why aren't we taking advantage of this opportunity? I mean, Donald Trump lined up the shot for us. We have a, a supermajority of conservatives in the Supreme Court. Why aren't we taking advantage of this opportunity to write the law that will be in, in place for, for, you know, 40 years? Okay. Here's what, here's you can, you can be that. a sheriff. I, Go ahead. I think, all right, I think you're running for the wrong office. I think you'd be better off as a, uh, a U.S. attorney. Uh, or a mm-hmm. district attorney, or something where you use your law degree. I'll be quite blunt here, um, because I uh-huh. think the fact that uh, it's, it's going to be really tough to be a county sheriff when you've never been a deputy, 
when you have no law uh, enforcement experience, you've never arrested anybody, you know, it's going to be really tough to do that. Okay. So in that respect, you know, yeah, you can in just a second, because the only person I've seen do that is president Trump who had never served in elective Mm -hmm. office. That's the exception. But as someone who's going to enforce the law, who's the number one person in the County directly enforcing laws, if you Mm -hmm. have no experience enforcing laws, you're going to be at a huge deficit because your learning curve has to be incredible. But what you do have to your credit, is a lot of knowledge of the Supreme Court, a lot of knowledge of laws, a lot of knowledge of the Constitution, because you're a lawyer. So quite honestly, I think might be better off in, in, in city council, county commission, mm-hmm. uh, district attorney, U.S. attorney, things like running for Congress, for example, because those are the things where you really want to make the changes. Not, I don't see the changes that you want to make at the county sheriff level. Let me respond to that. So and then I'll the get reason, yeah, so the reason that I'm not running for a position like a state's attorney's office is you can be as 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 innovative and high-minded as you want in terms of being, uh, you know, wanting to pursue this this case to get it to Supreme Court, for example, to to start enforcing federal immigration laws at the local level, but you have to have a law enforcement officer that's going to make that initial arrest to line up that case for you, uh, and, and we're just not we're not doing that right now. There's not there's not a single single sheriff's office in the state of Florida that's prioritizing that. And, and you can have as many attorneys as you want to line up that case. If, if the initial arrest isn't there, it's not going to happen as much as you want it to happen. You have to have the actual arrest to get the case through the courts to make its way to the Supreme Court. And I want to be that innovative, brash, bold sheriff that pushes the boundaries to rewrite the law. Okay. Piaki? Well, the boundary of the United States is the water line and about 20 feet in. From then on, mm-hmm. you are in another country been so gracefully titled states. That is your land. That's not federal land. Mm-hmm. They have no business giving leases out for drilling and exploration of resources and keeping the money. That is the land of the state. And we need to have someone that's bold enough to tell the federal government, that we're not going to do it. It's unconstitutional. And if right. you're not willing to do that, then you're going to have to pursue other means, like Article 5 amended the Constitution. But it really is not necessary. You have the power as a state to do that already. You can control that federal government. The federal government gets its powers from the state. Just think about it. Where do your Congress come from? Your Congress come from state districts that have probably mm-hmm. two or three state representatives in it, either the state house or the state senate. So, right. you know, hey, you know, we give you a hard way to go, but we're looking for people and trying to make people understand you got the power to do these things already, at least make a stand because then you would be sending a message. Right, and that's what I plan to do. And so let's make that stand concrete. Uh, let's make it law. Definitive law that stands, you know, the test of time. Yeah. Yeah. I even uh, if I want to give you a few minutes. Bold, yeah. No, go ahead. Finish your statement. I was just going to say, even if I'm the, the brass, innovative, bold sheriff wanting to stand up to, you know, the feds and, and really make sure that we're keeping things local in terms of, of our, our, our power and sovereignty, uh, that only stands as long as I'm elected. But if I get these cases to the Supreme Court and I know they'll be amenable to these arguments and, and solidified it in the law, you know, even once I leave office, that will continue to stand there. 
And, and that's why it's so important to get cases at the Supreme Court. Makes sense. Let me give you about uh, two or three minutes to sort of uh, sum up, uh, talk about exactly what you want to do, and I'm just going to let you go, and then contact information and things like that. And then thank you very much for coming on the show. Like I say, this isn't the easiest show to be on because we really do ask a lot of uh, uh, tough questions, but I think in, in that way it makes you a better candidate, and it gives people a much better right. idea uh, of where you stand versus uh, Chip Simmons and anybody else who's running uh, for county sheriff of Escambia County. And it also allows people around the country when they're evaluating their own county sheriffs to take, hopefully from what we're talking about, some of these issues that are critically important and they can apply that in, in their place as well. So, so your impact goes beyond Escambia. Uh, that's the beauty of this show. Right. So go ahead, uh, give it your best shot. Tell us exactly what you want to do. Take about, I don't know, a couple minutes and give your contact information. And then if you want to come back, let me know. Absolutely. So I am out here to represent the folks who are just tired of seeing the crime and the lawlessness in our county. I'm for the folks who grew up here, spent their whole life here, or or are new to this area and have fallen in love with it and want to see it become a safe, prosperous community to live in again. You know, our response times at the sheriff's office are unacceptable. Uh, The number of reports being written are going down, and people that I've talked to, and, and they've openly confronted Chip about this as the sheriff's uh, roundtable discussions that I've told you about. They are struggling to get deputies to write reports, and I've spoken to a deputy who, who tells me that it is coming from leadership that they want less reports, and the reason that they want less reports is because the Florida Department of Law Enforcement crack, uh, tracks crime statistics based on written reports. Lower, less reports means lower reported crimes, but those of us living out in the community know that that is not the case. I will be the advocate for victims. When I am sheriff, you will get justice if you are the victim of a crime. And we will make sure that this community is safe for you and your family to live here, raise a family, do business, and retire. I grew up here. I remember what it used to be, and I know what it can be. uh, And we will get it there together. Uh, The other aspect is, in addition to cracking down on crime, we will finally have an anti-corruption unit to make sure that your taxpayer dollars are being spent appropriately, and actually being used to invest in you and your family and your property here in this county. I'm I'm tired of seeing taxpayer money used to subsidize luxury apartments and condominiums downtown while the rest of this county is decaying. I can promise you that as sheriff, if you are having a problem not only with criminals but bureaucrats, you can pick up the phone and call me, and whatever bureaucrat is hassling you with some ridiculous red tape, I will personally pay that bureaucrat a visit, and I will be one heck of an angry sheriff. the days of inefficient, ineffective, corrupt government are going to be over when I'm sheriff. And I can promise you that we're going to make this a great place for middle-class families and small business owners again. Uh, in terms of my contact information, you can go to electtylermiller.com uh, to learn more about my campaign. Uh, you can email me at electtylermiller@outlook.com, uh, And I certainly look forward to any folks who want to have a conversation with me about crime that you're seeing in your neighborhood uh, issues that you're seeing with local bureaucracy or corruption, uh, or even folks who, who want to volunteer and get involved to see uh, their community be a, a great, safe, prosperous community again. So uh, thank you, Greg, for having me on, and it's been a pleasure talking with you. Yes, yeah, it's been a pleasure talking to you too, and thanks for answering my questions and Pianki's questions. I appreciate that as well. So take care and have a great day. Uh, I'm going to play a couple things here. We're going to take a little break. It is 9 
six here, and I got to figure out what we're going to do for the last hour. Pianki, we're wide open, so anything you have, something you might want to bring up. Uh, so I'll let Pianki present a topic uh, if you want to. Otherwise, we'll uh, figure something else out. And that was Tyler Miller, and he's running for uh, sheriff of Escambia County here in Florida, up in the Panhandle. And I'll be right back. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Well, that sounds good. Even better. Okay, how about your car? If you want the best service for your vehicle, please talk to James at Florida Stores Automotive, conveniently located at 6715 Caroline Street in the historic district of Milton, Florida, right between the Milton Bakery and the Blackwater Trail. Whether you need an oil change or an entire engine replaced, this is the place. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need. Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic. It is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5 p.m., Florida Stores Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone Tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stores Automotive. I go there. You should, too. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. And now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Great Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is greatcare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at greatcare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great Care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. Action Radio. Part of the ADHD Radio Network, the ultimate free speech zone. 
We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take. That is Action Radio. Okay, we're back. I remember to turn the microphone on this time. <laughs> what happened with Wendy? That was too bad. Anyway, um, we got Pianca in the line. We got Marco in the Netherlands. Uh, apparently, the Netherlands invaded, invented uh, uh, traffic cameras, which I think is kind of interesting. Yeah, it was bad. That was a Wendy terrible idea. Yeah. Come on. Welcome back. Guests leave, your, guests leave your interview. They here to get a drink. They ain't coming back. <laughs> <laughs> He's not coming back? Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, well, no, you know, they, I mean, I have to ask questions. They go to the tavern, they find, they find a tavern and get a drink when they leave you. Your well, you know, it's interesting because I've, I've had that happen. In fact, Bill, uh, Bill Fecky, uh, he's coming back here in a few weeks. He says, you know, and he actually paid me a really nice compliment on Monday. He says, you better know your, and I'll use the word stuff, <laughs> when you come on the show. You just have to. Uh, because we do, you ask questions, I ask questions, but we don't, this is, you know, nobody, even the people I, you know, I was talking to somebody earlier on the show, I said, even the people I like, I, I get, you know, tough questions. You think, you think Wendy doesn't get tough questions? You know, anybody comes in, the, I, I, I ask tough questions of myself. But that's the whole point. That's the point. If somebody's running for office, then I'm, I'm curious, you know, thinking their feet, uh, questions they may have never had before, real practical nuts and bolts stuff, you know, about the office that they're running for. That, that's what I really base my stuff on. Uh, and so I've, I've had yeah, different people right. in different offices. Oh, that's the point. So, uh, go ahead, Frank. That's the problem that people don't speak their mind and they yeah. hold this stuff in still drawing i was going to ask them what's the face of criminality in the in the area i mean the face of criminality in the united states in these cities is that of the black male in the criminality age not yeah. all so uh, if you don't address that then you're not being true to yourself yeah, that would have been a good question. You know, I think we have, we have a lot more. We'll see if he comes back, and, and that'd be that'd be like the first question. So just let me know. Now, did you want to present? You you sent me something uh, off the air. Did you want to present that now? I haven't. I've had a little bit of chance, quick look at it, but uh, tell me what you found if you want to. Otherwise, I have other stuff. Well, always. basically, what I've done, basically what I've done, is I was looking up uh, what they call women's health. I was looking up abortions. In the in within the black female community, mm-hmm. and I find that it's it's uh, excessively beyond their percentage makeup in any state, and uh, people are not asking the question high. Then I also look up looked up uh, CDC is starting to publish this now, make it available mm-hmm. the information on. On immigration, legal and illegal, and native, and we can see that the numbers there. You got the illegal immigrants; they have a very high number when it comes down to poverty. 
they're high on things like Medicaid, and uh, of course they're not getting the abortions, but somebody is, is having to pay for those things. And well, that's the thing. You never see abortions encouraged for illegal aliens. I mean, you would think that you'd want to reduce the population of illegal aliens. That might be something the federal government might want to encourage as they're being escorted out of the country. But no, they're not saying that. It's, they only want abortions for Americans. This is why we talk about the Great Replacement. The Great Replacement, according to the left, which is the, 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 the BS one, the one that's not real, is that, gee, white people don't want people of different colors in the country. They're, they're trying to replace all the white people. It's a bunch of nonsense. The real Great Replacement is, is getting rid of American citizens and people that believe in this country uh, with a government education system, with a flood of illegal aliens, with abortions for Americans, and, and welfare for illegals. That's the Great Replacement. So the idea of the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, which only has jurisdiction at the border for people coming into the country with a communicable disease that they have symptoms for, that's their sole jurisdiction, which comes from the Commerce Clause of the Constitution. Anybody that doesn't know, the CDC's authority, they derive from the Commerce Clause, not the Public Health Clause, because there isn't one in the Constitution. Anyway, I found that interesting. So what does the CDC say about abortion? And there, I've got you sent me CDC's well, abortion the, surveillance system. Yeah. So tell me what you found. You look at the numbers. For instance, for instance, in Georgia, 66.5 percent of blacks. Alabama, 66.1. Delaware, Joe Biden state, uh, 46.7. Michigan, 54.4. Mississippi, 77.3 percent of the abortions there are black women. North Carolina, 52.3. Texas, 30.1. Mm-hmm. That is extremely – one has to wonder what the heck is going on. Why are you aborting all these babies? And, and no, the they're aborting the babies. They're aborting black babies. That's the question. So we're talking about – so the black population is roughly 13% of the country. So let's take mm-hmm. women, about half of that. What's half of 13? Six and a half? You know, so about six, mm-hmm. 6.5% of the population of this country is, is black women. And yet they're getting 60%, 60% that's two-thirds of the abortions. For less in than some 10% states, of the, yes, 77 percent, almost three quarters, over three quarters of the abortions in Mississippi. Yeah, that's genocide. So why? Self. So where's the left? So where's the? You want to talk about racism? I don't think it gets gets much more racist. I'm glad you pointed this out because when you think about it. And this has always been the plan of Planned Parenthood. For those who don't know, Planned Parenthood was started by Margaret Sanger, one of Hillary Clinton's you know, favorite people, uh, who had a Negro project. And the whole point of the Negro project was to exterminate black people in this country. Let's be blunt. That's what it's about. And apparently, they're still doing it. Because if you're aborting, if, if 60%, if two-thirds of the abortions are black women in this country who represent only 6.5% of the population, you want to talk about disproportionate? That's disproportionate. And so what would it, I think I asked you this before, but has anybody done a projection on what the population, what would be the black population of this country if not for abortion? It'd be at least what, two to three times as large? Probably close to 100 million. So the current black population is not that big. What's the current black population? 30 million? I'm not sure. What is it? It's like 30% well, of the country. See what they do, what they, you talk about native blacks. See, but they mix in these Africans in those numbers, so you would have to extract them. They no, Africans are not African American. <laughs> let's, let's, let's weed out the yeah, Africans and the African American population, <laughs> which is kind of funny when I think about yeah, it. Yeah, they do better. They do better economically and also mm-hmm. academically. They even do better economically and academically than whites. Nigerians. 
Yeah, sure. And one has to ask the question, why? Well, because they don't go to they don't go to government schools. <laughs> they probably go to private schools. Would be my first first inclination. Yeah. And you know yeah. we're not we're not trying to be mean, but the uh-huh. data says was see when you have data, Greg, like when you're there operating a radio station, but you don't have no meters, you have to guess at it. But if you had meters, your meters would reveal data and tell you, well, you need to turn this knob or that knob. Well, it's the same thing in also these uh, social data of life. Why mm-hmm. is it so much here? Why is it that you got people of the same skin color and they excel above mm-hmm. anyone else, but this group of a particular skin color, you don't have nowhere near the proficiency that you would at least expect would match mm-hmm. the numbers as a percentage of the population in the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because if, if skin color were the determining factor, the Nigerians would be no better off than, I guess, the, 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 the average black citizen in this country. But that's not the case. And Nigerians are better off than, than pretty much than the average citizen in this country of any, of any group. You know, Asian, white, yeah, they Hispanic, are. or mean, black. Yeah. That's what the data says. They are. So Which is funny because all the frauds come from Nigeria. You get the email, the email frauds, they all come from Nigeria. The Bank of Nigeria, you know, once, once your money invests, it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> so there's something else going on too in Nigeria. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. But anyway, but let's talk about the genocide because this is serious. And, and the fact that uh, there's two problems. One, that the left is doing it. And two, that the conservatives aren't bringing it up every day. Where are they? Are they afraid to talk about this? Anybody that, are they so afraid of being called racist that they don't want to talk about something that actually is racist? Well, yeah, like the governor there in New Mexico, they're putting a, a uh, abortion clinic right down on the border between uh, next to New Mexico and Texas. Why are you doing that? Well, we know why you're doing it. You got a black mayor, female male, to Sarah Jones in mm-hmm. uh, St. Louis, who's saying that they're going to allocate uh, city money to pay for women to go into Illinois at Granite City Hospital through excess abortions. That's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Where are the black churches? Where are the uh, black leaders? Where are the, where's anybody? <laughs> Who are the civil rights leaders? Where's the ACLU on this? <laughs> it's like everybody's missing. Well, they are no. the opposite end. They saying that women should, uh, and I, you know, we say the same thing. Always, our particular uh, argument is that just follow the law. You know, follow the law. Mm-hmm. Wisconsin just uh, elected, I guess, a Supreme Court j- a justice, a judge that is, and she's uh, saying that she, uh, the people are saying that she's more pro uh, abortion and on those issues. Whereas I think that's wrong. A judge is supposed to only apply the law. That's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to be really unbiased, but you know that's not true. I do. I was just thinking of a new term. You know, it's like black abortion supremacy. You know, it's like these people. They're they're. You can't say white supremacy because it's not white. It's not all whites that are that are doing this. But you got a situation now. You've got an abortion supremacy group that wants to to either reduce or eliminate the black population through abortion. And why that's not classified as a genocide, I don't know. 
you know, because I looked it up. So the population of the country is roughly 330 million. 13% is about 42 million. So if we had two-thirds of those babies here, 42, about 120 million, like you said, of our black population. That's huge. That's the millions of people. The in Florida is 34.5%. It's higher than white, which is 29.6. So say that again. The black abortion rate, the the number of black abortions in Florida, black women is 37.5% of the number, whereas whites is 29.6. Yeah, but that's a lot closer than some states where it's 60%. Oh, yes, it is. So what about so, Alabama? So if, if black women are getting 60% of the abortions and white women mm-hmm. are getting 30% of the abortions, Who's not getting abortions? Well, everyone is getting them. But it's, when you look at the numbers compared to their number of the population, uh-huh. you know, it's more reasonable. Hispanics in Alaska, okay. 5.5% of the abortions. Uh, in Florida, you would have, uh, let's see, Hispanics in Florida is only well, they 29% of the abortions. Well, it looks like it's 38 so it's about no, a third, a third, a third here. Yeah. Okay. I'm just curious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. I wonder, I wonder if they chart uh, Native American, American Indian abortions. This is, but the, the but the black abortion rate is so disproportionate that and and it, so where did you find this story? Where how did it come about? What was your source? Or is it something you went CDC. looking for? So so it's, CDC's it's, this information is posted in the uh, Centers for Disease Control. It's two organization, uh, CDC, and another one called Gottmacher, G-U-T-T-M-A-C-H-E-R. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, Gottmacher, yeah. So so why would it be in the Center for Disease Control? Is a, is the is an abortion a you disease a or is, a, is, hum, is humanity itself a disease? Okay, so we're talking about health. So let's, let's talk about this. This has, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know how you say abortion is health care. It's like so the left renames everything. It's like when they call gender-affirming care. And they're taking one person and trying to destroy their, their gender or their sex because uh, you can't make them into somebody else. It's not, it's not gender affirming. It's gender destroying. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so abortion yeah, as health care, we have to preserve the right of abortion as health care. I mean, whose health are you talking about? <laughs> You're not talking about the health of the baby. That's for damn sure. You know, so it's uh, the, well, this misnaming is, is pretty crazy. Yeah. All right. So what do you well, want to do? This like I said, it's not that we're not saying our contention is that you follow state law. It's yeah. not a federal government's responsibility. You follow state law. And you can't stop a person from doing it. But the question is, is why do they do it? Uh, to such well, why do the women extent. do it? Abortions, abortion's not mandatory. Why are the black women doing it? No, they're not. So, is it the economics? So, I mean, what is it? What's going on with it? Well, that's it. All right, let's follow that through. I think you're onto something. So, so the Great Society, Lyndon Johnson, who was an avowed racist, he hated black people, uh, even though he pushed civil rights through, but he did that for political reasons, not because I think he believes in it. I think Kennedy, John Kennedy, actually believed in the civil rights movement and civil rights for everybody. So, so we've got two completely different people here. So if you have a Great Society program that you've created that destroys black families, that's the intention of it, is to allow single mothers to raise babies on their own with no father at all, 
because the single mothers are going to get the money, and the single fathers, of course, are not going to get any money by implication. But single mothers can do better on their own than they can, you know, with the father working together as either married or partners or living separately, but still at least combining their finances. So in a way, the Great Society was designed to exterminate the black population just as much as abortions are. And in fact, it's almost like the separation of, of, of black families have led to not only more children, you know, out of marriage. Um, I don't know, I like the term wedlock. I think it's the lock part that bothers me. Anyway, but to having having kids, you know, with uh, 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 of single parents is, you know, the, the Great Society was that was part of the plan. So is, has anybody ever made a connection between the Great Society and Planned Parenthood? Are they working? Was the plan to have them work together so that you destroy the black family and then send put black women in such a position that they're encouraged, you know, to have more abortions? I mean, how does this all work? It's a complicated matter, and you have black faces that don't say anything. Uh, yeah, but we're saying and, You know, another thing. We will that, say it. Yeah, let's, let's us say it. Let's well, say yeah, what they're we not say saying. It. Yeah. We say it, but the organization like the NAACP and so on, they don't say anything. They're quiet. And I'll tell you another thing that they're quiet on. You have so many black students that's doing excellent. Nobody gives them any credit whatsoever. Yeah, because they think they're affirmative action and they got their, uh, you know, on a quota system, which is real. Now, is that by design, too? Is that to say that the only way a black student can do well is if they're on a quota system or get some kind of special privilege? Is that part of the uh, the the uh, the enforced uh, victim mentality? Might be in the, in the discussion. You do hear a lot of it. Like, for instance, you hear these colleges are talking about the uh, uh, disparity and in inclusion. Inclusion. But inclusion is not based on merit. It's based on some pretense idea that because mm-hmm. of past uh, history that this is the remedy, the only remedy that needs to be applied. Is mm-hmm. that uh, you put this person in here, like Joe Biden said, my next Supreme Court appointee is going to be a black woman. Well, that was totally ridiculous of him saying it you should be applying uh, someone to that position based on their marriage. Well, what the implication is that black women think differently, and because black women think differently than everybody else, that the Constitution is read differently by black women than everybody else, or any, pick any category. You know, it could be Asian men. You say, well, we have to have an Asian man on the Supreme Court because they read the Constitution differently, even though it's the same words. So on its face, it makes no sense. So this whole idea that you need people of different skin colors and, and different sexes on any place makes no sense uh, if what they're doing is all the same. So they're all reading the same constitution. So it should, you know, why would being a, um, a black woman have any effect at all on a Supreme court decision if they're applying the constitution? So what they're really saying is they're not applying the constitution that we need black women on the court to advance an agenda of liberal black women rather than an agenda of freedom for everybody, equal justice under the law. Because you can't have special interest groups and talk about equal justice in the same sentence, just as Tyler on the hour before. You cannot enforce law directly and, have, uh, and want to have cases that go by the Supreme Court and enforce them indirectly. You can't have it both ways. You got to do one or the other. Well, it's the same thing with these ridiculous arguments about police reform. And they may claim that uh, 
a black suspects are brutalized more by police than white suspects, which I don't think. But you also have to ask your question, then, why mm-hmm. is there so much noncompliance with this one particular group? You know, it'd be interesting to see what this country would look like if there were no distinction uh, between black and white. And I'm not saying we have to erase our history, but just stop making the distinctions. Stop making the, the constant comparisons. You know, we, when we wrote our bill, the citizenship question on the census, this is back in 2018. It's my, my last you know, official act at WEBY Radio, where we wrote this bill on the air. Um, and uh, two days later, I had it on writeyourlaws.com all written up. Two days after that, uh, Matt Gates had, actually one day after that, Matt Gates had it. Uh, and, and three days after that, he was back on the show on a, on a Tuesday, wrote on a Thursday, he was back on the show on the, the next Tuesday, you know, five days later, reporting favorably on it. You know, and one of the things that we talked about was getting rid of all racial classifications in government. And I think that's something we should move to. All in education and in government and everywhere. Just take out all references to race in the entire federal government because we're never going to get rid of this problem as long as we classify people by race because they'll always find ways to use the differences in race to analyze problems. Now, if you want to keep statistics on different things, that's one thing, but and the, privately. But in terms of government, I don't think they should be having racial criteria at all for anything. So in other words, it wouldn't be the black woman abortion, well, obviously women, it wouldn't be the black abortion rate, it'd be the abortion rate. You know, it'd be a different thing. Well, you know, here's another thing, too. Uh-huh. No, you have to, you know, to look at success. You take an area, a, a community like Woodmore in Maryland, and it's about 70% black, and it's one of the richest communities in the United States. Mm-hmm. The one thing that stands out in their demographic is that about 70% of the families are married couples living together. What well, that, that goes for any community. It makes a huge difference. That goes for any community. You look at any, any community or any, any place or any group when you have married families, you know, mom, dad, and the kids, it's always stronger. The economic benefit is always greater. The suicide rate is lower. You know, the problem rate is lower. The crime rate is lower. Everything improves, you know, when you have families. And now, as they say, not everybody has a family like that. I didn't. Tried, but, you know, anyway. Um, but that's the ideal. And it obviously works out better. You look at black families before the Great Society program. Most black families were married. They were families. The abortion the rate was almost not existed. Right at $100,000. Say that again? So that tells you that medium household income is about $100,000, a little bit more. But that tells you about the education attainment of the people in that community. So there's a correlation between education attainment and how well you're going to fare as far mm-hmm. as income, which you need in order to survive. But so, your education attainment has a lot to do with the school systems that you go to. And we talk about the government school. Government mm-hmm. schools is almost a total failure. Well, they're designed to be. The government schools are designed to make people stupid. They're trying to, the, the whole point is to de-educate people, take away their curiosity, take away their ability to think, make them cogs in the wheel, make them shut up and, you know, drink their beer, watch sports, do their job and die. I mean, that's what government does. The, and there's the no of accountability. Well, of course not. They say they, they want accountability they in the police department. They want accountability mm-hmm. in 
in your fast food uh, restaurant workers, but they don't have the accountability in these government schools. And it does a disservice to the young person. And also, with this particular ethnic group we're talking about, black, where the children are not obtaining uh, the education that they need so that they can perform and operate within society, it becomes a national security concern. It really does. Yeah, but the left doesn't want black children educated. <laughs> Otherwise, they'll lose their victim group. You know, so the whole reason I think that the, the black population was picked, uh, you know, yes, because of slavery, but it's easy to identify. You know, I, th- I wonder if the left picks skin color because it's, it's one of the easiest things, to, easiest ways to identify people. So if you if you have a group of black people, you can tell because they're black, and you can say, okay, well, so these black people must be victims of, you know, the the the, the white supremacists and the white privilege and all that stuff. Whereas if you couldn't tell the difference between people, if we all say if we all had the same skin skin color in this country, how would the left you know, differentiate us. How would they divide us up? They have to go to class things like, like uh, Marx did in, in Europe. In Europe, you know, basically, at least it used to be, but Europe was, was uh, you know, almost all white. So World War One, World War Two, you had white people fighting white people. <laughs> you know, British, French, and Germans, you know, all fight, and Russians, you know, fought the wars, you know, in Europe. It basically, it was white people. So how do you distinguish? If you're Karl Marx and you want, to have a, you want to have a stratified society, how do you differentiate people? Well, you had to do it by income. By class, because you couldn't do it by race in Europe, because they're all white people. But in this country, you can, because we do have racial divides, and you can see it on people. You can tell a black person from a white person, for the most part. So it's an easy way to categorize people. I think that's a large reason it was done, because once you know, in a, in a, an ideal world, once we fought the Civil War, once we had the Thirteenth and the Fourteenth Amendments, once we had civil rights finally in the '60s, there was no reason to ever. Uh, list words like white or black in government again, and yet we still do, because I think people benefit from it. Well, you make a a very good point. In this, oh, thank uh, you. I have my moments. It's true. It's certainly dry. Yeah. And you know, here's another thing: we're not just we're just particularly talking about black Americans, but. Mm-hmm. These problems also exist in other groups, too, especially white Americans. But we just chose to put emphasis on black America. They have uh, a smaller number in the population, but they have extremely large deficiency when it comes down to some basic things, education mm-hmm. and the ability to have a household income where you can raise a family. But there's no reason for that, though. There's no reason why black Americans would be any different than white or Asian or, or Jewish or Christian or Hindu or Nigerian Americans. There's no reason for anybody other than their own personal ambition, merit, and whatever God gave them for anybody to uh, have a different economic situation by group. There's no reason for it. Unless there's a group you thing got, You're absolutely on. right. Yes, you know, especially when you can look at another group of people who have the same skin color since you want to talk about black or white. Why uh-huh. is it that they're doing so very, 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 very well? Why uh-huh. is they disproportionately in these professions of high income, high wage, and salary? Uh-huh. That's a good question. Well, let's, let's take white people in Africa. And I'm not talking about South Africa. Let's take a predominantly black country. The population is 95, 97% black. You know, how does the white minority do? Are they, are they dominant because they're white? Uh, do they have white privilege in Ghana? <laughs> do they have white privilege in Chad? Do they have white privilege in Niger? I don't think so. 
you know, Zimbabwe? Probably well, not. They don't, have the they don't have the privilege because of the skin color. Uh, if you were talking about comparing with foreigners, they would have uh -huh. privilege over the foreigners no matter what skin color they have if they're born in the country. Okay, so let's say – so how many white people are born in African countries? So I'm, I'm, I'm looking for uh, the, the, the corollary to what we have here. So here we have a smaller black population, much larger white population, okay? And, but in, in a country that has a much larger black population, a much smaller white population of indigenous white people, well, where, where is there an African country that's about 90% black, 10% white, just of native-born white people, just out of curiosity? I don't think so. Okay, so we don't really Other have a good comparison that. then. That was see South well, Africa is different because it was, uh, was most of Africa colonies at one point of European countries because that would skew it also. Well, yeah, in the in the coastal areas, when you go into the hinterlands, they were not. Now, let me tell you something too. They have adjunct poverty amongst whites in South Africa. Mm -hmm. But whites can be poor anywhere. And you know, there's, there's, there's no magic about being white that makes you rich, or I'd be rich. <laughs> you know, so yeah. yeah. Okay. So anyway, it's it's a it's a good discussion. And yeah. when people put the data on the table and look at it, then you have to ask why are your voting patterns to continue to put uh, politicians in office who basically come to you and make proposals based on your demise. Mm -hmm. And it's over and over and over again. Yeah, like I said, it'd be interesting for a politician to come forward and say what we just talked about, <clears throat> that if every skin color was the same in this country, how would you divide people up? What would you do? <laughs> you know, you'd have, to, you'd have to find some other criteria. That'd be fascinating. You need to, I need to write an article on that, a Substack article. All right. Get somebody let's, let's, on the, invite somebody on the program so we can ask them those questions. Because they're surely not getting those questions in the run-of-the-mill campaigning. Unless they call this show, because we ask questions that nobody else has even thought of. So I'll do a subject. Right. If everybody was the same color, how would you categorize people? That's a good question. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll find that out. Uh, let's, let's, uh, let's see what people say. For anybody that wants to, my Substack is gregpenglis.substack.com. I have articles that nobody else has even thought of writing. Obviously, that's what I do. <laughs> so, uh, so feel free to join in. All right. Um, something, a couple things came up of interest. One, uh, we got we got. 20 minutes, so we'll probably do 10 minutes on each one. Rasmussen has a, a poll that did COVID-19 virus deaths versus vaccine deaths. The mere fact that they're doing this poll is significant. So Rasmussen, one of the better polling things out there, under their politics section, Friday, March 31st, that would have been last Friday, says nearly as many Americans believe someone close to them died from side effects of the COVID-19 vaccine as died from the disease itself. And of course, we told everybody that back before the vaccines came out. We're like, don't take them going to be deadly. It's not going to work. <laughs> they don't know what they're doing. It's too fast. And we warn everybody, but you know, we, we know what happened. Anyway, the article says that the latest Rasmussen reports national telephone and online survey finds that 11% of American adults say that a member of their household died from COVID-19 while 86% said no. Okay. 10% uh, said a member of their household has died whose death they think may have been caused by the side effects of the COVID-19 vaccine while 85% say there were no such deaths in their household. So we've got 11% say that someone died from COVID. 10%, which is almost the same, said someone died from the vaccine in their family. That's amazing. So what do you get from that, Pianchi? 
Well, you're starting to, uh, a lot of information is starting to come out on vaccines and COVID that wasn't being reported on, you know, earlier, I guess, for, for practical except reasons. By, but uh, Except by us. It's going to, <laughs> yeah, it's going to show done. you that the, the emphasis has been misleading. Well, what it tells me um, is that people are finally realizing that the, the, the COVID shot, you know, is way more deadly than the people thought, and that COVID itself is, is far less deadly than people thought or were told to believe. So, so there's, there's two different exaggerations. That's why they over-reported COVID cases back in 2021 and 2020 and 2021, and they completely under-report vaccine deaths and for exactly the same reason. They have an agenda. Anyway, the article says, these findings come at a time when overall concern about COVID-19 is clearly on the decline. Yeah, we don't care. We haven't cared for a long time. I told everybody, Jan, uh, July of 2020, COVID died. Everything else after that is, is government hoax. But, you know, and I had the CDC chart to prove it. Article says 48%. Well, I'm, still seeing, uh-huh. I'm still seeing ads encouraging people to get boosters. Yeah, it's too bad they don't have like a skull and crossbones. Uh, on the on the uh, the vaccine vial. See, that, if I was Babylon B, that's what I'd do. You know, here, get your shot. <laughs> Put a big pirate flag, you know, right on the uh, right on the vial. But uh, yeah. So, and why were they doing that? Why would they be encouraging boosters for something that's gone? They're still giving the same. They get vague, formula. Right? They get well, I, I mean, that was. I mean, that's a rhetorical question, right? Exactly. But think about that. They're giving exactly the same formula vaccine, non-vaccine for a strain that died in 2020, and this is 2023, and they want you boosted with something they know doesn't work because that original strain of the virus left after about nine months until the vaccine created new strains like Omega. Isn't that interesting? They think we're so stupid. Well, of course, some you. people are. Yeah, they, they're getting paid. It was used as a political weapon. For one thing, mm-hmm. uh, they tried to use it as a political weapon to go forward, but uh, it, the numbers just wasn't there. But the main thing it was used as a political weapon. And at the time that it first came out, it was uh, it scared people because of people's lack of education on the issue. On the but we were issues. never scared. We never worried about COVID here. We always knew that it was just a, a virus. Uh, it might have been a bioweapon, but we already, but considering as soon as we all had it, like me especially, probably one of the first people to have it, you know, and we just rocked on. <laughs> Use their immune system. Pointed out the look at the stories that was being. Look at the stories that was being put out there. Their bodies was being piled up because. Uh, you couldn't bury them. They was coming in so fast, you couldn't bury them. Look what happened right. out there in New York. You had uh, two ships ported that was supposed to be able to take the overflow where the hospitals couldn't take anymore and all that crazy mess. They put up tents where people could walk in, had beds that never was used. Well, let me tell you about the, uh, the John Cullen view on that. So John Cullen is the data expert. He's the one that created the COVID map for Johns Hopkins University. He used to be on the show. I, you know, I'd love to get him back on. Um, but one of the things he talks about, and he's, he's still talking about this too, is he calls it PNI, which is pneumonia and influenza. So what killed people was not COVID, but pneumonia and influenza. 
Good question, Influenza. What he's saying is that these, these COVID wackos actually went to frozen bodies in, in Alaska uh, and, and cultured the, the, the Spanish flu, the most deadly flu that's ever been, brought it back, revived it, passed that into the population, and that's what's causing most of the deaths. So the people that are dying are not dying from COVID. They're dying from good old-fashioned pneumonia and influenza, partially influenced by this original strain. And he's got the data to prove it. So go on, go on Twitter. Anybody wants to go on Twitter, go take a look. John Cullen is I am John Cullen, J-O-H-N-C-U-L-L-E-N. He's got a new chart. I'm going to go to it right now. I'm going to find it right now for everybody. Uh, let's see what John Cullen's up to these days. So let me go to Twitter. He has a lot on Twitter. He twits a lot. I should twit more. A little husky now. Have you noticed that Elon Musk has a little husky emblem on Twitter now? That's kind of yeah. funny. Right. You know, and the scare that they put into uh-huh. the population, the mass, uh, the funerals, you have, it would drive by funerals. You stay in your car, you drive by and view the, they either well, had a body standing up in some sort of contraption. Yep. If you go, go see a grandmother at the nursing home, uh, they were behind a glass fence, a glass mm-hmm. wall. No, no, it's crazy. But that was all part of the uh, of the farce. He's got here, John Cullen, just, uh, just tweeted a little bit ago. He says, why do you think no physician knows that influenza and pneumonia, in other words, P&I, uh, in blue has killed more Americans every week than COVID in green for the past year? So he's got a chart right here. So he's got more deaths in blue than green. And it goes up and down. But more people are dying from pneumonia and influenza. Those are the ones who are dying 4,000 a week. It wasn't the COVID people who were dying. It's the pneumonia influenza people who are dying. So in other words, what John believes, and I, I think there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of truth in that, that there were a couple of strains going around. Everybody talked about COVID, was terrified of COVID. COVID was only demonized, but it actually was a flu bug that was killing people. It's an interesting thought that that's how bad our government is. Anyway. I found that interesting. But back to the, the original idea that um, COVID is nowhere near as bad as, as everybody thought it was, and the vaccine is so much worse than everybody thought it was. And it's all by government design to make money. All right, got about 12 minutes left. Any comments on that? And then we have uh, one, something else I found that was rather interesting. This being reported around Let's the country move on now. To the next, one. next topic as we go here, folks, uh, Gateway Pundit. Dateline. <laughs> Where's my, let me get my sound effect here. Hang on. This will, this will only take a second here. And now, let's go into the newsroom and go to the Gateway Pundit. Daughter of judge overseeing Trump's case worked for Kamala Harris' campaign. Let me say that again. Daughter of judge overseeing Trump's case, that would be New York, worked for Kamala Harris' campaign. So now, so, so the, the vice presidential campaign worker <laughs> oversees the judge <laughs> who had Trump indicted <laughs> and you don't think this is an inside job <laughs> you know we're for Kamala Harris campaign now serves as president of the company that Biden Harris campaign has as a client so that's let me put this in English here Anthony Scott April 3rd so two days ago the gateway pundit previously reported New York Supreme Court justice actually judge Juan Merchan, M-E-R-C-H-A-N, or Marchan, is presiding over President Trump's Stormy Daniels uh, uh, hush payment case. I don't know why they call it Stormy Daniels case, because she already admitted that uh, nothing happened. He says nothing happened, uh, and she's, she's paying him 
half a million dollars for for slander <laughs> and another another $140 million in court costs. So it seems to me this is the Stormy Daniels case, not the Trump case. How come she's not arrested for false accusations? Just a thought. Hmm. I'll move on. Judge Merchant. Well, maybe he should recuse himself. Well, judge. Yes, yeah, but the, see, Democrats never accuse themselves. They find the people who are the most connected to it, who have the most influence from uh, from fellow Democrats, those are the ones they put on the cases. <laughs> they don't recuse. They find the most corrupt people that should recuse and, and make them the the, the 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 paramount person, the, the 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 prime person to do stuff. It says Judge Merchan Merchan M E R C H A N previously oversaw the tax fraud cases of the Trump Organization and Trump Organization's former C. F.O. Alan Weisenberg, or Wieselberg, Wieselberg, W-E-I-S-S-E-L-B-E-R-G. Trump is not a fan of Marshawn and took to True Social last night, last week, and wrote Juan Marshawn, uh, Juan Manuel Marshawn, was handpicked by Bragg and the prosecutors, that would be Alvin Bragg, the district attorney, uh, and is the same person who railroaded my 75-year-old former CEO, Alan Wiesenberg, or Wieselberg. I'm not, I'm not sure who that person is. I've never seen him. When this is 75-year-old, I thought they were talking about Peter Navarro eventually, but, or ultimately, but he, I don't think he's 75 yet. I think he's like 71, 72. Anyway, Mershon had been described as a lifelong Democrat, no surprise, and a bombshell discovery of his daughter's LinkedIn account reveals that his daughter is not just a Democrat, but a Democrat who previously worked on Kamala Harris's presidential campaign. So if, you, if the aide worked for the vi, VP... You know, in the one that handled the Trump case, that's 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 so bad. That's political incestuousness. It is ridiculous. Anyway, since the discovery was placed together from a photo from Geneseo Alumni Office, yeah, yeah, okay. you can read the rest of the details later. Yeah, there we go. Anyway, so yeah, that's my news. I'm done. <laughs> ah, this is what happens when I, I played rock and roll last night till like 1230. <laughs> Not a good idea. I think I'll save my freedom article for tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to be a real special day here. So I have a lot of work to do, which means I've got to have a big nap this afternoon and, and read all into the evening. Uh, Ed Dowd's going to be here. And so let me just, uh, we should talk about that for a couple of minutes before we go. Do you know Ed Dowd? Bianca, have you, uh, you ever see him on any of the Tucker Carlson specials or things like that? I know a Dowd who's a U.S. attorney. I don't know if it's the same one. No, it's not. No. So this is his book uh, is titled Cause Unknown. It's all about all the deaths from all the COVID things that nobody's talking about. And his very first page, In Memoriam. You know, let's see who he's dedicated to. Cause Unknown, the Epidemic of Sudden Deaths in 2021 and 2022 by Edward Dowd. Also put out by the Children's Health Defense Organization, which is Robert Francis Kennedy's group. And then it says, the measure of intelligence is the ability to change. That's Albert Einstein. We have a quote here. <laughs> the student, Dr. Einstein, aren't these the same questions as last year's final exam? Dr. Einstein, yes, but this year's answers are different. <laughs> oh. Anyway, just to uh, so I'm gonna give you a quick thing. He has something else here I wanted to do. Oh, here we go. This is a Carl Sagan quote. Remember billions and billions of stars in the sky? Carl Sagan used to have this program called Cosmos on, on uh, public TV. Do you remember that, Pianchi, way back when? Carl Sagan he used to talk like that. Do you remember him? He got food in your mouth. <laughs> it does kind of sound like that, doesn't it? Here's the quote from Carl Sagan, who was brilliant. 
Um, but again, he sounded kind of funny when he was on the TV show. He says, we are not able to ask skeptical questions, to interrogate those who tell us that something is true, to be skeptical of those in authority, then we're up for grabs for the next charlatan, political or religious, who comes ambling along. It wasn't enough, Jefferson said, to enshrine some rights in a constitution or a bill of rights. The people had to be educated and they had to practice their skepticism. Otherwise, we don't run the government. The government runs us. That's a prelude to the book by Edward Dowd. Ed Dowd is a Wall Street guy. Uh, he's an analyst. Um, it's just uh, amazing the stuff he does. So here, here are the, the chapters. We'll go over this tomorrow. He's got Robert Kennedy Forward, introduction by the author. Chapters are healthy young adult, adults. First, is it true? Then died unexpectedly in their sleep. Uh, the sad new normal. VAERS, that's the Vaccine uh, Adverse uh, Event Reporting Service. Young medical practitioners. Famous young people. Uh, and it goes on. It's a like 200-page book. Um, but uh, I'll see how much of this I can get through between now and then. Anyway, that's my guest tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. So we're going to start the show an hour later. Well, it sounds like it should be another interesting day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm actually going to stop a couple minutes early today because I'm tired. <laughs> I played rock and roll last night. I'm not going to do that again for a while. I think uh, I had too much work on the show that I want to do. But I had a good time, though, jamming with other people. All right, so that's it. Uh, Marco's off. Uh, looks like uh, he's got here. Uh, he's got a thing on dog breeds. I'm not sure why he did. Oh, because we asked that question on the Husky with uh, with Elon Musk. He says, uh, uh, it's a crypto logo, and it's not a Husky. It's a Japanese dog. That would be an Akita. I guess. Uh, and then it's AKC organi- mm-hmm. uh, dog breeds. Oh, it's the Shiba Inu. I know she. I have a friend of mine that loves Shiba Inus. They're, they're nice dogs. I like Akitas better because they're big and tough. Shiba Inu right. is a cryptocurrency. Well, Introduced that's what said. by Leon Musk. Yeah, but that's why when you go to Twitter, you get the Shiba Inu image. Have you been to Twitter? Yeah, that's the mascot for the currency. Well, yeah, that's, that's what Marco says, Shiba Inu. Okay, well, anyway, I'm tired. My voice is going. I, I need more sleep. I'm not going to do work all right, all yeah, much. I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> we'll do it tomorrow, yeah. So I've got to stop it for my guests. So we're starting one hour late. Uh, we've got, uh, who else is coming on tomorrow? Uh, Cowgirl Candace is coming on tomorrow because she can't be here Friday. Uh, CJ is going to be here with uh, CJ's Wellness Watch. And then Ed Dowd in the 10 o'clock hour, which we're going to extend by an hour, um, will be here. And it's going to be jam-packed show tomorrow. It's going to be really busy. So I've got to do some work and get ready for that. Greg Pangles for Action Radio. I'll see you later. Here. Thanks, Bianchi. Appreciate your help today. Um, our website uh, for the show, blogstockradio.com. Our legislative website, where I have a bunch of legislating to do this weekend, is writeyourlaws.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. Um, our site for, let me see what else we've got here, um, Substack gregpengos.substack.com. And the last one is for um, our, uh, our donation site, givesendgo.com slash action radio. And since I played everything, all I have to do now is our musical selection. And then we're out of here just a couple minutes early today. And I'll be back tomorrow morning again, 8 a.m. Central time. So one hour later tomorrow, 8 a.m. Central. I will see you all then. <laughs>